Listening to Sunglasses at Night podcast. The year is 1998. Yep, this is the podcast where we look back through our metaphorical ray bands at a year in musical history via the Australian Recording Industry Association charts, also known as the Arias, and ask what shit was going on. Absolutely. So, look, 1998, let's paint the scene, let's paint the picture, let's mm. have a look. Um, yes. For those, you know, some news, we try and, you know, I think I've failed in the past of trying to sort of paint the scene. So, this year, you know, I've got, I'm, I can say something, um, sure. I think. Hopefully, I'm not treading on, on your foot, on your sort of, you know, toes, Tom. But what I will say is, um, 27th of March this year, the FDA approved Viagra for use <laughs> for erectile dysfunction. Uh, so what a yes. great year. What a great year. And every shit comedian and shitty TV writer sat back in their chair and thought, well, I'm going to take two years off because the jokes write themselves. They do write themselves. Absolutely. Yep, for sure. And like, but they were all men, by the way. They, they were. I'm not talking about women. Women can't do comedy, as everyone knows. <laughs> and um, which is why we had to kick out the, the. We had a third person in the in the sort of uh, the demo version of Sunglasses at Night, um, and she mm. just made no funny jokes, so we kicked her out. Not really, of course. It's we we. This isn't a comedy podcast, obviously. It's just uh, general observations about real stuff. There's no jokes in this. That's um, right. So, look, anyway, interestingly, Tom, why I want to bring this up is because um, it's sort of actually 1998 uh, Viagra approval. It actually connects to a current day event, kind of. So, yep. um, are you a fan of Nicki Minaj? Um, let's say for the purposes of this argument that I am. <laughs> good. That's good to see. So, cause Nicki Minaj, she, um, I don't know. We might get to talk her about it one day in the podcast. I don't know hmm. whether she's got a number one hit. I'm not, not sure, but she might well do. Um, she dropped a bombshell earlier this year, Tom, when <laughs> she, um, and look, I think that people are not taking her seriously enough on this, where she declared that, um, what happened was, I think it was a cousin of hers, uh, <laughs> was going to get married. Mm. And just prior to the wedding, the uh, the fiance he got uh, the the double dose vaccine for COVID nineteen, mm. and you know what one of the side effects was for him getting the vaccine, Tom? I do, but tell me anyway. Um, erectile dysfunction. <laughs> so apparently, I not just that, but didn't his balls also swell up? His know? balls. He couldn't couldn't get an erection, and his balls swelled up. Now the the reason this is interesting, <laughs> Tom, is because that do you know who makes Viagra? Um, Nicki Minaj? Uh, Pfizer. Uh, you know what else yes. they make? Uh, the Pfizer vaccine? They do, they do. Now, <laughs> Nicki Minaj has blown the doors wide open she on this. Has, I think what yes. she's trying to say here, Tom, is that Pfizer um, concocted the coronavirus in a lab. Then yep. they conveniently had a cure that they were, the, the, sorry, not a cure, the vaccine that they could sell people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that made them flaccid as hell. So then they could also on-sell them some Viagra. 
So Nicki Minaj has dropped that bombshell, um, and mm. I think she's been silenced, Tom. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if she winds up dead soon from blowing the doors off this True. whole coronavirus thing as being a massive scam by, you know, uh, invented by Pfizer to get people to take Viagra. <laughs> Seems pretty realistic. Um, there's a chance this podcast will be removed from uh, mm. Facebook <laughs> for peddling conspiracy content. That's this is not me saying this. I don't believe this at all. No. This is Nicki Minaj saying that. So this is so back then in 1998, um, Pfizer. Started this whole Viagra. How can we sell more? Let's get a coronavirus happening scam. Yes, they're playing the long game. They were very much so. It took them, you know, 23 years, but uh, I think it's paying dividends now. Mm, so good. That's um, right. So that's some big news from, from then, the old Viagra. Anything, what else happened in 98? Must have been something else. <laughs> Nothing as exciting as that. Mm. Uh, Google was launched. Oh. Uh, yep. Couple of guys in a basement somewhere, you know the usual the usual dot com boom story. Just said um, that that uh, you know whatever they had at the time. Um, <laughs> what was it? We want to take over the world, but in a completely benign way that's all about feelings and it's like you know. what, like web crawler. What sort of search engines <laughs> did they have back then? Some dog shit that fuck didn't work at all. So you know you type yep. in. Jurassic Park and I mean, nothing hey, would there'd be no responses maybe they were just drunk one night and they were trying to come up with a worse company name than Yahoo for a joke you know and, and then <laughs> one guy was like Google and the other guy was like that's crazy but I bet you couldn't come up with a more dog shit logo than <laughs> Yahoo and he was like hold my beer I've got five different coloured child's crayons in front of me and, and we can a, work that the shittest font ever drawn uh, oh, yeah, speaking absolutely. of computers, Apple launched the first iMac G3. Oh, yeah. The original, uh, the one that, yeah, the one that looks like a blue plastic jelly bean type Yeah, we've thing. talked about this before. I think Dawson mm. on an episode yes. of Dawson's Creek requested that, so, yeah. In 21, $2021, it cost four and a half grand, mm. and in 2021 computer horsepower terms, it was about as powerful as the thing that unlocks your car, <laughs> but it did look cool at the time. In 98, computers only came in two colours, uh, beige if they were new, or smoke. Smoker's teeth yellow if they were old. Um, yeah, uh, Bill Clinton was the second US president to be impeached. Oh, although yeah. it was only about pretending he didn't get a gobby, not committing treason or staging a fascist coup because he was hung like an acorn or something like that. Just to pick an example out of my hat. But yeah, if you weren't watching the news lot in 98, it was pretty funny at the time. The modern day equivalent would be like, it's really hard to come up with one. I spent ages trying to figure this out, but and this is a bit of a stretch anyway, but it'd be like... Um, you have to imagine, say the internet broke down completely, so nobody could access the internet at all. Mm. And then Joe Biden got sued for a billion dollars by a black guy, and Joe Biden called him a liar on the stand in court, and then the guy turned out to have a video of himself eating Joe Biden's ass. Yep. And then the internet stayed broken for nine months, so nobody talked about anything else except Joe Biden felching on TV for that entire time. <laughs> and every baby boomer and preschooler in the entire world had to get felching explained to them on a daily basis whether they cared to hear about it or not. Yep. So it was a bit like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it pretty much was because uh, this new... You know, we work, obviously, the 24-hour news cycle these days, Tom, where uh, when... Obviously, Donald Trump was in power. He said something that was completely insane on a daily basis. But yes. people would have forgotten about it two days later. Whereas, or one day later, because as you said, the next insane exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. But with Clinton, yeah, everyone had to deal with this for a long time. So, oh, um, what's Monica Lewinsky up to these days? I think they've just made a new one of those. I never watched it, but that American, the one they did about that 
TV miniseries they did about um, oh, yeah. OJ. They've oh, yes. just done a new one about her, oh, okay. you know, so she's being played by, a, you know, you know, some acclaimed celebrity. Who's that I can't playing remember. Bill Clinton? Oh, bloody hell. This is so irritating. I should have checked this because I had read it. It's just on. Is it Vin Diesel? It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's not Vin oh, Diesel. Okay, that's a shame. I won't but, be watching. Um, yeah. It's, anyway, hopefully the Rock or one of someone, <laughs> someone that used to be involved in wrestling or Vin Diesel, that'd be good. So that's disappointing. A lot of, new, lot of news that year. Um, oh, Harrison please. Ford was named People Magazine's sexiest man. Uh, yes. Um, which obviously was enough. He's no Nick Nolte. I'll he's, say he's that. Not Nick. He's no exactly. Prince of Tides. He's no Prince of Tides. <laughs> but uh, I, it's probably around this time that Ali McBeal was was doing the rounds, which enabled him to. <laughs> Um, get married to Calista Flockhart mm. off, the, off the strength of his do people people's magazines I mean are people renowned for announcing the sexiest man of the year like apparently they are I, why it keeps getting I think it's one of those slow news day slow news yeah. week things that gets chucked on I think I saw somewhere on the internet that Paul Rudd had been named sexiest man of the year this year okay. so it must this have year. been a sl- yeah just like the last week okay. or something so it must have been a slow news week yeah. this week as well. absolutely so <laughs> you can guarantee that if the president had got caught being filched by a black guy they would not be talking about who was sexiest man they, they of the would, year this yeah, week yeah definitely so um, which is surprising they even know that Harrison Ford was the sexiest man that year because as you said yeah Bill Clinton just dominated the news headlines oh for a long God. time um, the monoculture it's, look, you, Tom, don't, you just wouldn't believe how long she Shit was in yep. the news for Tom. We do have two listeners in Finland. I have I have looked at the data on the on, oh. our, on our Podbean account. There's someone that what, that listens to this in Finland. So some news for the Euros. Um, the Europeans. That is the Euro currency. Yes, was announced this year. Yeah, that's so right. Started it was the beginning. Year. So yeah, not only at the beginning of the new world order, Tom. One single currency for the whole world. That's um, right. Control everyone. So good stuff. So yeah, look, it's handy. I've been to Europe. It's pretty good to you know cross over the border and not have to change your money every. Three seconds, so that's pretty handy. Um, you do come across a couple of countries where they they just don't care. They just want that. they don't want it. They don't want any part of it. They're oh really? Like, okay. Switzerland. They don't want any part of it. They don't fucking want that shit. Britain, Britain, <laughs> Britain. Yeah, all those Scandinavian countries. The weird, uh, crazy ones like the UK. Yeah, you know. but the Finland, the Finnish, the, those guys. Mm. I love those guys. They've My brother Euro, went to Finland so. and he had a great time there. And I lived with a Finnish guy called. Um, Mika and he was lovely. Yeah, I've been to Helsinki. Enjoy it. Keep, keep on listening. Hell, uh, you Finnish guys, love mm. your work. And you also have a, a word for proximity awkwardness, which I find <laughs> to be fantastic. So there's a there's That's a true. there's a word in that in the language for something where you feel the awkwardness of being in the close proximity. <laughs> sorry, you feel vicarious embarrassment for being in yes. the proximity of something extremely awkward. Um, so look, power to that. We all have that feeling sometimes. So look, that's good. That's what's happening in the world of news. Mm-hmm. Um, biggest film this year, uh, Titanic. Yes, as we will discuss. We'll find out soon. Yeah. So, look, Titanic was. Um, yeah. So, I think it was on. I think we spoke about this last week. Tom was it in the Village Four in Launceston <laughs> for I think four years. I think so. Sort of a blast of the whole <laughs> it was Olympic definitely period. Definitely quite a while. On for quite some time. James Cameron obviously directed that biggest film um, all time in box office, um, only to be broken by Avatar. 
He's a, another film, James Cameron film. film. So, yeah. the, so James Cameron's at the point now where he can do anything um, because obviously, you know, you've got two of the biggest films of all time, one and two from that dude. So that's why Avatar 2, it's, it's the Chinese democracy of films at this point, Tom. It's been in the works for about 50 kind of for, is, for like it? 2009, I think Avatar came out. That's 12 years. Don't know when this thing's going to come out. They just let him do anything. Like I wouldn't be surprised mm. if when Avatar 2 does come out, if Axel Rose isn't actually in the lead <laughs> role. I think James Cameron... Can just do anything he wants. I don't know whether he's taking as much coke as uh, Francis Ford Coppola was during the sort of apocalypse nowadays, but mm. I hope he is, and I hope that he just churns out some unwatchable piece of shit. Yeah, that would be more entertaining than what I suspect it's going to be like. But just really again, boring. <laughs> hey, yeah. On the other hand, you know, he has made the biggest movie in the world, what, three times now? So Yeah, look, I can't yeah. doubt the guy. I mean, obviously he knows what he's doing, so I shouldn't be um, <laughs> too critical. But look, um, don't know. I don't know whether this one's going to be for me, but we'll wait and see. But yeah, anyway, Titanic, biggest film of the year. Um, yeah, it was on forever. So that's the news and film action. Um, shall we get into the songs, sure. Tom? Yes. Cool, all right. So um, for another one, two, three, another five, is that five or six weeks at the start of uh, 1998? Um, just six more weeks of Aqua, Dr. Jones. So <laughs> just, just the six more weeks. People, t- people, didn't, have, people had, didn't have enough of that. And as we learned last year, <laughs> at the very end, there were um, three weeks of Barbie Girl and then and six weeks of this. What's the what's the better song? Is I mean, three weeks of Barbie Girl, seven weeks of Dr. Jones. Is Dr. Jones twice as good a song? I can't as, believe I'm saying this, but I think Barbie Girl might be better. Maybe. I, I uh, mean, it, like, it's hard to describe what's better, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could make a whole bunch of obvious analogies by just saying, you know, two horrible, disgusting things and trying to pick which one. Yeah, better. look, you're right. Is it better <laughs> if you're at a bar? Is it better to be punched in the head and fall back and hit your head on the bar and go into a coma, mm. or is it better to be like glassed and then sort of not yeah. in a coma, but sort of be permanently disfigured? <laughs> I'm not sure which one of those is better, but so, yeah. So look, Doctor Jones. I think it's about. Um, the sexiest man in the world, 1998, <laughs> Harrison Ford, isn't it? Is this song about Indiana I Jones? Mean, that's what they said, but who freaking knows? Yeah, not who sure. Knows? Who who's got any idea? Look, I don't. Do we? I don't think we have to talk about this anymore. No, do we? Let's, I mean, fuck please. this song's pretty shitty. Um, but yeah, look, I don't know. Um, I don't think I put it in last week's playlist, but. Check out the the pre-Aqua band that Incy Wincy Spider song because that makes this look like fucking you know genius like that is so dog shit I can't believe that they were given another opportunity mm. to record music to be honest but look that's okay the one thing I will say about Doctor Jones is it doesn't have that the dude going uh, okay Bobby let's go party yes. like he doesn't he doesn't have like a real fucking annoying bit you in there that big makes fan you of that part. no no not at all terrible look. So anyway, first new song of the year, 15th of February for four weeks is uh, Celine Dion, Tom, My Heart Will Go On. And this, of course, featured in the film Titanic. Hmm. In fact, <laughs> it kind of surprised me in the sense that it was only in the t- charts for four weeks because yeah. Titanic was so huge. The fact that it was three weeks less than fucking Dr. Jones by yeah. Aqua for growing up. Absolutely. Lab. So look, straight off the bat, um, this is the theme from Titanic mm-hmm. and it's Celine. So even without having to listen to a note, you know this is going to be fucking boring as hell. Yeah. I mean, that goes without saying. Because <laughs> Titanic's set in, what, 1912 or 11, whenever that 
whenever the boat sank a long time ago. <laughs> um, so they had to go for something like very like to- of its time. Like they haven't tried to make it modern at all. It's just a very no, ballady, just a generic, just pretty, saline. pretty shit. So um, yeah, look. I don't know. Not really feeling this at all. Um, you've seen Titanic, Tom, I assume? I have, yeah. Can you see yourself ever watching Titanic <laughs> ever again in your life? Well, for a long time I was proud of myself because I managed to never have seen it through all of the massive period of popularity and then just, you know, the fact that it was on TV every month for my most of my life. But, yeah, yeah. I did watch it about a year ago just out of curiosity. Oh, it, okay. It was... Better than I had expected it oh, to I, be I, from I, from yeah. all that build up of. Look, exactly. I think you just assume it's going to be total trash. Um, it's not good, but no. he is definitely good at making drama entertainment out of not much. I mean, Avatar. Let's face it, wasn't very. I, you know, wasn't very good. No, no but <laughs> like the guy said, I dare you just. Dude, I was watching some TV show recently and he just said, I dare you to tell me what either of these two characters' names were. And he just had the two characters from Avatar. Like, even I can remember what the characters from friggin' Titanic were called. And I haven't even watched it just because it passed into... At least it was in cultural memory at the time. And this song was huge. Did a song play in Avatar? I can't remember. I don't know. No, and that's the Who problem. Who did the score? I don't know. Did it, well, <laughs> some yeah. person. I remember Sigourney Weaver smoked a cigarette at some point, but yeah. That's about it, exactly. I, I quite like James Cameron, but I think you could make a pretty good argument that he likes the technology involved in filmmaking as much as the actual filmmaking itself. Correct. But on the other hand, he did direct fucking Aliens. Yep. So, you know... Look, that's one of the finest films ever made, so I'm not going to shit on James Cameron <laughs> because Aliens is very good. Terminator 2, Judgment Day, I'd watch that every day for well, the rest of my life time, if I had to. So. At the time that came out, that was the most expensive film ever made, and then it made world record profits. Even Titanic massively defeated expectations. Long before it was finished, it was the most expensive film of all time, and yeah. then it crossed this budgeting line where the only way it could make a profit would be to be the most expensive film ever made. Yeah. I mean, the most profitable film ever made. And, it, I mean, talk about setting a high bar for yourself, yeah. you know. Not only did it do that, but it won 11 fucking Oscars and gave a generation of teenagers with VCRs something to frot the couch with, you know. It was yeah, unisex. It's true, it absolutely. Was, you know, yeah. Kate Rose Winslet get, Kate. did get her cans out in that. Um, and every, all the girls loved Leo as well. They did, Leo exactly. wanted to be propped up at the front of the boat and then uh, wipe the inside of a um, condensation <laughs> cup. <laughs> look, look it's, it's win-win, look. And I think that was it. Do you think... Look, I don't... I, I assume that the, you know, the whole drawing of the... Leo doing the drawing thing. It's it's very gratuitous, but it's sort of like, look, this film's pretty boring. Dudes are going to fucking hate this. Should we get some cans in there? Well, I mean, this is that he's kind of James Cameron's sort of. He's got that Spielbergy knack of like, you know, he can fit a bit of something in for everyone. You yeah, know? even definitely. even Aliens has got bits. You know, you know, it's got it's got maternal stuff. It's it got does. a child. You know, it's got a cute little kid in it. You know that it's got a you know Alien has a cat in it. You know it that does, yeah. he's not just. Um, you know, right. it's so it's so much harder to pull this stuff off than you would have thought. Oh, but definitely, I mean, but definitely. but still, I'm not saying it's a great, it's a great movie. No, no. But look, I think that um, what I will say is that uh, <laughs> if I had to, because what the film's probably 
It's probably two and a half hours. It's pretty long, isn't it? It's it was, yeah. I remember when it when it came out on VHS. Yeah. It had to it was on a two VHS. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you would have had to have flipped that laser disc over, <laughs> yes. and it would have been two laser discs. Look, I think I would probably what rather just watch Titanic for three hours than listen to this song on repeat for three hours. Mm. I think if if there were the two options, or listen to one sixty minute Celine Dion album. Yeah, that but, would, yeah you know, exactly. I might be prejudiced against. Yep. Love ballads. This, yep. I will say, by the standards of some of the stuff we've heard of hers, this is a bit more memorable. At least it kind of oh, builds yeah. to an emotive does, climax. Yeah. And it reminds people of the scene in the film. And it's the, what was it? The heart was the name of the the jewel thing that she wears oh, around her neck yeah. and stuff. And so it's got a kind of, it does have a sort of resonance. It's not like they just went, oh, this sounds like it's vaguely about love. We'll chuck this in the film. You know? Yeah, exactly. Why do you think people liked uh, Titanic so much, given that, you know, spoiler alert, the boat sinks. Everyone, <laughs> before you go to watch the film, unless you're a fucking moron, you know that that boat's going down. So, like, at the end, it's like, okay, the boat sunk. <laughs> Everyone dies. We, we know that. <laughs> I know. Like, what's Pe- the- I mean, people got so sick of it at the time, like nine months after it had come out, that they w- you would occasionally see someone wearing a shirt that said, it sank, get over it. Yeah. Because so when you get to a point where people are selling <laughs> clapback shirts <laughs> at your <laughs> cultural phenomenon, yeah. but I mean, like, it really was. And not only that, not only was it a cultural phenomenon, but it's conveniently non-copyrightable uh, because it's a true event using a real boat. Yep. So, like, in addition to all the official merchandise and the VCRs and the soundtracks and shit, there were Titanic-themed restaurants and yep. stage plays, T-shirts, video games, theme park rides, documentaries out the A-hole. And at one point, a group of investors were just going to recreate the entire boat from the ground up at life size. I mean, you'd think they would have learned one lesson from the film, <laughs> but apparently, I guess not. Well, isn't Clive Palmer still building the Titanic <laughs> 2? Isn't, isn't that still happening you never, now? You never know with Clive whether yeah. he means a theatre, restaurant, dining yeah. experience or whether he means a, you know, a, an animatronic, dinosaur-related Titanic. Because sure. from all reports, he is building the Titanic 2. Any chance they'll <laughs> turn that into a film? So when on the maiden voyage, Clive Palmer's Titanic 2 going from the Gold Coast to Cairns inevitably sinks because it's built completely dog shit. Will James Cameron go, sign me up for that sequel? I can do that. I can make the Titanic 2 film. It sounds like a comedy. I yep. think it's got legs and I think an Australian director on the way up should make it. Oh, absolutely. A pretty, uh, probably the dude that's making that Martin Bryant film. He might mm-hmm. be involved in that, I think. And so. Clive Palmer could yep. show up as a guest appearance as the iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you know... He's fat, if you don't yeah, know who Clive Palmer is. Okay. He's a big fat guy. He's a big fat guy. He could be the iceberg. We can definitely do that. <laughs> Sorry. That's let's, just, let's move on quickly. It's fine. Um, so, look, the, the song My Heart Will Go On, is it's not being sung from the, the perspective of the Leonardo DiCaprio character, is no. it? No. Because I just thought... Because he, he's dead. So, for his heart to go yes. on, is it like donated to medical research or something? I don't really know. But I'm not quite sure. Um, I, I guess it's... Yeah, it's not really sung from any characters. But maybe the... The Kate Winslet character, or is it Possibly. just a general sort of my yeah, heart? Yeah, it's kind yeah. of hard to deal with it. Yeah, so look, this song was written by James Horner, um, who did the score for this film, I think, as well. Oh, okay. Um, and he unfortunately died in a plane crash oh. um, in 2015. So when you asked about the music for Avatar before, Tom, mm. I think he was involved in writing the, the score for the original oh, Avatar, okay. but they'll have to get someone else for number two yeah. now because he unfortunately passed oh, away. Um, 
could James Cameron turn his plane crash <laughs> into a film? Probably. With Celine doing the soundtrack. It I mean, cost $280 million. Yeah, exactly, for, for sure. So, um, so yeah, obviously that's uh, sad that he won't be back for Avatar 2. But look, obviously um, his score and this song was very, very successful because um, the soundtrack for the film sold 15 million copies mm-hmm. for the Titanic soundtrack. Wow. And uh, Celine's album that this song was on sold 30 million copies. Oh, wow. So that's an absolute fuck So time. she got two digs at the She did, yeah. Well. Now, what's completely bizarre about that is this, sorry, is that they even released a sequel to the soundtrack. So not... So they didn't make a Titanic 2 film, but they released oh, okay. the soundtrack, which sold so many. They said, we need to make a fucking yeah. sequel soundtrack. So they released Back to Titanic, uh, also in 1998. Music inspired by? Well, it, I think it was some of... Uh, yeah, because all the songs that featured in the film were obviously on the original Titanic mm-hmm. soundtrack. So I'm not sure what they Plus dredged up. Plus a whole up. bunch of others that weren't on it as yeah. well. So it didn't quite sell 15 million, but it did sell a couple of hundred thousand like a few hundred thousand copies so people were so desperate for Titanic movie they were like we need a sequel oh, soundtrack to this so look if you think that you're getting bored of hearing the word Titanic already then imagine how it felt at the time yeah exactly you gotta hear this for another six months well that's what it was like in real life it's like I'm fucking so tired of this it's like well you know it's March and you're gonna be tight by December it's gonna be fucking insane so look do you think does this song have any legs these days can you see this being revisited revitalised reused in any other context can you envisage it sort of being used um, for an erectile dysfunction ad in the future where they change the lyrics to my cock will go on do you think can you see that happening I think so I mean they could get together with Pfizer Presumably. Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking as well. It's a. It's a tie into the Nicki Minaj conspiracy theory. It's a tie in, but yeah, so, certainly I could see that happening. Probably with some Euro beats, though. Um, I think that would probably. I think Tom, this podcast would self implode, or something would happen. <laughs> the, the world would collapse in on itself if we were to do a Euro beats mm. cover of this song. If we were to just take, because it's there's no drums in this, so we can just take the original song. Probably pump it through like a, yeah. like some auto tune. There must so have that been Celine's auto tune. Someone must have done it. Well, if they haven't, let's do it. Let's yeah. add some Euro beats to this, <laughs> and then because if we could get our own song to number one, um, and we had to talk about it ourselves, that would be insane. You're, so. still, you're still thinking in old world terms, Ben. So, Nobody wants number ones anymore. You want you you want the song to be featured in a in a film Viagra commercial. Well, yeah, that goes true. viral, and <laughs> then true. a bunch of twelve-year-olds make TikTok videos out of it for a week. Then uh, you can be uh, you know make it hundred million dollars. That's you true. Know, there you go. Your career is done. You don't even need to get on the charts anymore. That's all right. All right. So we'll try and get a my cock will go on Eurobeats cover of this onto TikTok. And remember, if your cock goes on too long, see. So Doctor. That is correct, absolutely. <laughs> Nicki Minaj's cousin no, doesn't know about that though. Um, so look, so interestingly, like Celine Dion, she was the youngest of fourteen kids. Wow. So um, obviously, being the youngest of fourteen, she had a lot of older siblings to sort of pass on their mm-hmm. knowledge and whatnot. So I'm sure that sort of I can't even imagine what it would be like to be in a family with that mm. many kids. So. Uh, but look, she obviously pulled through, became a celebrity, and honestly, she made so much fucking money that <laughs> she could probably buy all 14 of her siblings a rather nice house. Quite possibly. And, you know, that would be okay. So, yeah, look, um, she was re- 
when she was growing up, the family didn't have a lot of money. I think they were quite poverty stricken. Fourteen kids, I can understand that. It's <laughs> yeah. very expensive to raise. Um, by her own account, she had a happy home, but at one point she was sleeping in a drawer. Mm. <laughs> can James Cameron make a film about Celine Dion probably. sleeping in a drawer? I reckon. Yeah, probably. Look, um, weirdly... She met her future husband when she was 12 and he was 38. Now, that's a red flag for me. That's creepy as hell. Although, at least he waited until she was 20, supposedly, to begin their relationship. Mm -hmm. Which makes him a real grave robber compared to, like, the Rolling Stones or someone. Yeah, absolutely. And they were married until he died in 2014. So, I guess there's a lesson there, Ben, which is... Marry your manager because it always turns out well. It absolutely if there's one does. lesson we've learned, it is get involved with someone in a uh, financially uh, dominant position above you mm-hmm. uh, when you're starting out and yep. there's a 20-year age gap and it'll pretty much 100% of the time turn out fine. Look, he managed a career to success, so that's very good. That's um, true. Yeah, I don't know. It was his third marriage and okay. the second one to... Uh, artist that he'd been managing. <laughs> okay. But still, you know, they were together for, you know, what, 16 years? So that's been some. Yeah, definitely. Look, it's good. Definitely no child grooming going on there. I think it's all fine. <laughs> no, um, I'm sure look, it he's in the that. ground now, so you can't defame the dead. So, um, you know, I hope, but don't take offense, though. <laughs> I, I think the dude sounds pretty. I'm, I'm creeping out on this, I think, a little bit, so mm-hmm. I don't know. But look, uh, all that aside, any lyrical highlights for this? <sighs> there must be. Well, this is absolute bollocks, but like most of Celine's stuff, but at least she didn't write it, I guess. Uh, love was when I loved you. One true time <laughs> I'd hold to in my life will always go on. Now, Ben, we've done some corkers on this show yeah, so far, yeah. but can you recall hearing a single line as sub-basement car park piss poor as... Love was when I loved you. <laughs> I mean, even... I mean, I know she's French-Canadian, but she's been singing in English for a fucking long time. Yeah. And she that was written by someone... Look, Lord, Lord Love is... Yeah, look... Love was when I loved you. Yeah, you that's, that's absolutely terrible. Look, I can't believe that... There must have been someone in the studio that was like, whoa, whoa, hold on, wait... <laughs> Can we do better than this? Because James Cameron, I see him as somewhat of a perfectionist, yes? Like, he makes mm. these films, he spends a lot of money and time on them. Um, so, someone comes in with a single for the film and says this, and he's, like, listening to it going, love is when I love you. <laughs> what? You've got to be able to do better than that. But, look, obviously, Knowing Celine, James Cameron, it's possible that he only listened to the first 10 seconds of the song. <laughs> it just went... Oh, had do. to take a phone call on a brick-sized mobile phone with another brick-sized mobile phone pressed to the other ear and he didn't have time to listen to the exactly. rest of it. Exactly. Look, he was probably working on Terminator 3 at the same time. Did he direct that one, Terminator 3? No. He didn't? Okay, he wasn't. He probably, <laughs> yeah, he was out by then, He did he? 1 and 2, a.k.a. the good ones, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. wisely fucked off. Anyway, yeah, let's sure. move on quickly. Um, oh, hang on. What have we got? 10 million uh, on Spotify. Doesn't surprise me. No. Two cents because there's a trillion of these out there. Yeah. So don't waste your time because it's, yeah, I don't know, terrible. Um, all right. So up next for one week, 15th of March, Run DMC V versus Jason Nevins. It's like that. Mm. And that's the way it is. It sure wow. is. Now, Tom... Oh, it's like that debut single from uh, Run DMC, yep. which was released back in 1983. Uh, and then it was remixed by house DJ Jason Nevins, obviously, in 97. Mm-hmm. And then the version um, originally released then, just as like a 10-inch single. Uh, and eventually, 
became a sleeper hit in 1998. Yeah. In this sense, I think sleeper hit, you mean trashy nightclub, trashy. dance floor filler hit. Yeah, type, exactly. Sort of now, at what point <laughs> did a dude just remixing, and I even use the term remixing here very loosely, I think what he's done here, he's just sort of ant- He's just added like a dance beat to this kind yep. of, but I think the song itself is almost the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like a, there's a bit where I think it says like run DMC and jam master J run in like a chipmunk voice. Yep. I think he's added that, sped it up to the. I, that's in the ridge. Yeah. Oh, that's it? like a sample of them. Like yep. I agree. He's really done fuck all. He's done sweet this. fuck all here. Um, and when did, yeah. So when there's a couple of questions here. One, when did so when did verses become the thing? Like I've, I've remixed it's me versus I've remixed his song as verses. Well, ten years later it was collabing. Yep. And then another ten years later now it's just X. It's oh, just, it is nowadays collab. it would be Run DMC X Jason Nevins. Yeah, that's right. You've got the X in there for multiplied. You've got the fe- you've got the collab. Mm. You've got the featuring. But back in 1998, yeah, verses was the way to go. So it's this person I, versus that. If person. I get drunk at a party at someone's place now and I chuck up on the carpet, I don't bother um, trying to clean it up. Just the next day, I just send him a message saying, "Sorry, that was Tom Vaughan X." lounge room carpet yeah and, and they know what you know, mean they know what I mean exactly you know? right but yeah fish, yeah exactly but this ver- I don't know I'm not feeling the verses verses is like sort of um, two you know like a bot like Muhammad <laughs> Ali versus like yeah you know, it's, Joe op- it's or oppositional it is. like even X like even X kind of looks cool because it's like they're multiplying yeah, they're each together. other and yep. the, you know the, the whole is better than the sum of the parts exactly. versus just sounds like kind of what this actually is accurately e.g. one person having a deleterious effect on a song written by somebody else yeah <laughs> look power to Jason Nevins because he's got a number one single to his name like he's gonna when he when he dies he's gonna go in the graves with like on his tombstone it's gonna be like number one you know recording artist mm. and uh, you know so he gets that that you can't take that away from him <laughs> to have that sort of number one song um, but as you mentioned he's done absolutely fuck all to this <laughs> yeah and you know look he did it again. He also uh, did Jason Nevins versus Danny Minogue. Yep. I Touch think, me like that. I think he may have even done it again with another... Mm. Another... He... I think he did Tricky as well. Oh, like he, he did another Run DMC song. And then a bunch of other ones on his Wikipedia page that were so tedious I couldn't be bothered writing down. I oh, mean, Jesus. some people might say that at least he didn't change the title to Shits Like Hats and then release it under his own name on Puff Daddy's Bad Boys label. That's true. And claim that it was his own song. Yep. But those people probably didn't have to listen to this 4,000 times at shitty nightclubs for a decade, or they wouldn't be defending him. I, you know, he can get in the dock next to Entrance, frankly, at the next music week. Look, this... Sorry, this... There are some things that I am impossible yep. to be objective about. Look, this isn't quite as bad as Entrance Staying Alive, but no, it's, because it's, it's, very, it's a very fine line. The it's original close. song is better, I think, but... Oh, yeah, of course. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Like, or, you know... Or, yeah, in my personal opinion. Sorry, yeah, it is. Jesus. And that's, that's the thing. Like, if someone said, would you rather listen to Run DMC, <laughs> I like that, or would you rather listen to yeah. Run DMC versus Jason Nevins? If someone says the latter, for me, that's a red flag. I don't think I'm inviting <laughs> them around to my house ever again for any sort of... You know, and I know people say, oh, you shouldn't judge someone based on their musical choice, but I'm, it's a very... It's a, it's a, you know, a decision between something that's yeah. good and something that's objectively terrible. So I think, you know, you can ju- you know, you can't really tell tell... 
Look, what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, the song sucks. So, <laughs> um, look, Run DMC, on the other hand, obviously very influential. Mm-hmm. Um, from I, I think this is true, that they were the first musical group to get a sponsorship for, with a sporting company being added as. with any company. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that sort of, I think an Adidas rep or something went to one of their concerts or something. And they took all, him to the, yeah. Every, yeah, everyone outside the gig was wearing Adidas tracksuits <laughs> and they're like, oh, fuck, maybe pumping money into, you know, sports teams or sports stars of sponsorship, you know, this is sort of, and, and yeah. obviously, you know, these days that sounds completely insane because every musical <laughs> artist has some sort of sponsor I think music isn't even a musician's main pursuit these days it's like let's record some songs so we can get a sponsorship yeah. deal to sell like a fucking perfume or some bullshit shoes or like a baguette or you know like fucking everybody is just on Instagram going oh come and buy my fucking makeup yeah line. and there's so- a kind of there's a sort of do- slightly dorky um like, it's easy to go, oh, look, they sold out. What, why would you be happy about that? But, like, there's a kind of dorky sort of earnestness to it because they'd written a song called Adidas yeah. Adidas before that. You know, like, they they just wrote it because they all wore Adidas all the time and liked the shoes so much. Exactly. And then must have thought, oh, why don't we get Adidas to see if we can get some money out of this? But, yeah, it's not like they did it, you know, custom made it to, you know, and then pretended that they were really into Adidas. Look, Tom, sometimes selling out is waking up as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you need the, you need, if you need the cash, it's okay. Look, otherwise... You know, people, their fans are going to buy Adidas based off, yeah, the My mm. Adidas song. Um, so they may as well get a cut of the pie, I think. And look, you got to remember, this is a solid 15 years before Korn released that All Day I Dream About Sex bullshit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which was sort That's of like right. another that real bad... That was more embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, yeah, God terrible. I can't, I can't believe that was a real thing, it's but like, it was. So. It's like getting sponsored by, you know, the Coca-Cola... And selling the Coca-Cola Corporation, selling Lyft commercials, and doing a, a heavy metal song called "Milk, Milk, Lemonade, Round the Corner, Chocolates, Mate." Yeah, or something. It's just you know, it's just one of those things that could only have existed in about a two-year-long window. I feel like we it was doing dated it all for the Nookie <laughs> by the time know, they left the and studio. Ice Cube and. <laughs> Jonathan Davis wearing a kitty fiddler moustache and purple, uh, purple sequined friggin' triple stripe Adidas pants were riding around on giant stretch BMXs round and round in circles yeah. on stage during their songs. Yeah. Like, you know, it was, a, I wouldn't say it was a great time, but you know, it was, it, it was, was it, it happened. Was, it was a time, it was a time for music. <laughs> um, and look, you know, people, I'm sure some people look back on that very yeah. fondly. Tom, remember that time when the dude <laughs> rode that mini bicycle in sequin track pants? I sure do. Um, what, what can you tell me about the OG song? Oh, I was just going to say that, as you said, it was their debut single in, I think it was 84, possibly 83. They were yeah. producer Larry Smith's house. DMC and Rev Run were still teenagers and they persuaded him to let them rap over a really stark backing beat that he already had yep. going. It's a super basic song, the original, but uh, it was it was a big hit. It made him famous. And not only that, but it was a massive critical success. It combined rock with rap for the first time. And finally, or the record did, it had you know guitar samples and that sort of thing. And finally moved rap away from the slightly cheesy sort of disco, New York disco area and showed that it could be like loud arena fiddling music on its own terms. And he produced their first and second albums, this one, Self-Titled and King of Rock. And 
as well as Houdini, Curtis Blow, and the Fat Boys. So a lot of seminal early '80s rap groups. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I that's think, the original. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, they're obviously very influential. Like, um, I think that um, yeah, right. I think the first hip hop act to chart in the top forty of the Billboard. Uh, Hot wow. 100 more than one time so they certainly had a few songs um, that were up there and the first hip hop artist with a top 10 uh, rap album so, oh, on the mainstream charts yeah, yeah oh, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. And, and they also the first hip hop group to sell uh, platinum or multi-platinum so wow. in terms of like the sort of their uh, things that things that they did yeah. way before other people like these guys were this is and you know we talked in the previous episode about how uh, well not previous but a couple of episodes about Vanilla Ice was the first you know rap single yeah. to sort of be a number <laughs> one but um, obviously prior to that there were more legitimate actual hip hop yes. groups that yeah. weren't weren't having number one albums and singles, but certainly selling a lot, and people were sort of really, um, yeah, respect Run DMC. They were like a lot. the first sort of crossover. Oh, definitely, like the first definitely. rap rock stars, like you know that yeah that suburban white kids listen to on yeah definitely as I did, which is one of the reasons why it was depressing to hear this in a nightclub For because sure. I could still I was you know still young enough to remember the time when it was really hard to even get a tape of Run DMC yep. at a record shop because just rap was still too obscure for, to get old stuff, you know, like even five-year-old records or whatever. And then to have to have it given back to you in this cheesy-ass dance floor no version. Yeah. I was just like, oh, please just play the originals. And anyway. of course, yeah, and look, Run and DMC also featured in um, probably one of the best films of all time, Crush Groove time. So. <laughs> I've never seen Crush Groove. Is that a breakdancing type one? Uh, it's. I wouldn't quite say it's the same as um, Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo, okay. but it's 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 a it's a hip hop based. I think it's based on um, sort of uh, a fic. I think it's is it a fictitious record label that's very similar to like um, an. Uh, what am I thinking of? Like probably like an actual sort of you know hip-hop record label of the oh, time okay. yeah. probably yeah i can't remember but i think it's basically like oh you know dudes are running this fictitious record label you know oh what's gonna happen yep. blah 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 so <laughs> yeah so it's um yeah i can't rem- i can't believe i can't remember what I'm, like def jam sorry oh def, okay. sorry yes that so, slipped sense. my mind for a second so i think it's basically like a sort of um a def jam type Oh, yep. let's make a film about what it was like when we were doing this sort of thing and then some, some rap artist shop, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, look, it's not totally dog shit, but it's not something you need to rush out and see no. immediately, one would say. Uh, lyrical highlights. Boom, um, must be. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure whether it's... Like I said, I listened to a fair bit of Run DMC back in the day, of their yeah. earlier stuff anyway. But, I mean, mostly it was earlier stuff because they stopped recording mm. after a while, but... I'm not sure whether it's a Reaganomics thing or whether like white radio listeners in the 80s could only handle black voices if they were sort of behaved themselves or maybe whether, you know, Rev Run and DMC just shared the same life philosophies as Cliff Huxtable <laughs> at the time. But their early <laughs> lyrics especially were all pretty wholesome. Like, yeah. you know, like they, they, they would do songs about how they don't take drugs and how they don't, yep. you know, they do they, you know, they play by the rules and, you know, their money was all legitimately earned and that sort of thing. 
don't. Well, this was very much, yeah, you're right, the Nancy Reagan sort of uh, don't take drugs yeah. type thing. Like if you want to get your album sold in actual shops. Yes, be sort of and like played a, on normal radio and stuff. Yeah. Like you couldn't have gangster rap type stuff. Anyway, no. I mean, like this starts off like don't push me, you know, by the, you know, um, Grandmaster Flash sort of thing. Talking about how tough modern life is and how tough it is to get paid and stuff. But then the latter half of the song is all just real pull yourself up by bootstraps messages. Like, you know, when you feel... When you feel you fail, sometimes it hurts. For a meaning in life is why you search. Take the bus or the train, drive to school or the church. It's like that, and that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how you personally drive a bus or a train to a no. church, but you know you get the general gist of what they say. You yeah, know. definitely. I like, mean, don't stop whinging. Get out there and fix your own life up. You know, pull your pants up. Yeah. Stop with that jibbity jabbity swearing and so forth. Yeah, look, if you had two jobs, one as a bus driver and one as a train driver, I think you could probably do that. But, um, <laughs> but then there'd have to be a, a train stop right outside the train station. That's right. You know, but the passengers might have something to say about it exactly. too. Exactly. Never... So, Run DMC have 4.3. Oh, yeah. Listeners on Spotify. That's good. Jason <laughs> Nevins, 950,000. So, still, still a few. Too many. Probably just listening to this and that Danny Minogue song, Touch Me Like That. Um <laughs> Sounds a bit sketchy. Well, to you be know honest. what DJs are like. If you were if you were DJing sufficiently large venues before about twenty ten, yep. you can just you can just do that for the rest of your life. Apparently, regardless of how <laughs> good you are. I mean, Paris Hilton slipped through that door. She did, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> She'll be DJing for the rest of her life. Just uh, somehow, people are like, oh, <laughs> we need more of that. Um, two cents on Spotify, probably about what it deserves. I would say so. Up next, um, for seven weeks, goodness yeah. gracious me, um, All Saints, Never Ever. Yeah, I, I had to re- I had to remind myself of this one. Like, I remember the All Saints, but yeah, I had to, you know, yeah. Oh, look. Did you remember this one? Yeah, I did. You um, did? Look, the, Sa- the All Saints, are, they're sort of just an off-brand Spice Girls, let's face it. Yeah, so. I, I was going to say, it's funny that Spice Girls' debut was called Wannabe because there were an awful lot of wannabes after they came out. <laughs> like, Certainly. you know, I know the idea of a girl group wasn't new, but this particular sort of flavour was, you know... I mean, who was your favourite? I was a big B asterisk witched fan myself. Oh, bewitched <laughs> were great, yeah, for sure, definitely. They're um, still cranking them out in the UK, I think. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> they certainly do. Um, look, who was my favourite? That's a very, very good question. Um, I, if you're going, see, I'm a big fan of S Club Seven, Tom, as you True. know, but that is the, a boy-girl combo. <laughs> Yes. So in terms of pure <laughs> girl group, yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that one because there just are so many. But yeah, um, look, the claim, All Saints, one of their big claims to fame was that they had a lot of famous boyfriends. Oh. So sure. you know the music was really good when <laughs> most attention is sort of drawn to sure. who are they dating. Uh, sometimes yeah. that's the patriarchy and sometimes it's just because they're not as interesting as their boyfriends, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly both. right. So Melanie... Um, she was dating Stuart Zender from Jamiroquai. So that's the most 90s thing you can imagine. Someone from Jamiroquai and someone from All Saints dating. That's Natalie, 90s. she was dating Liam Howe, the prodigy. Yep. So I'm you know, disappointed there wasn't a prodigy All Saints <laughs> mashup. Maybe if he remixed some of their songs, they would have been less shit perhaps. Um, they married in 2002. And Nicole, firstly, she was with Robbie Williams. Mm-hmm. who we know is, you know, basically an architect for genocide. Uh, and then after that, Oasis lead singer Liam Gallagher 
and she had a son with him. So oh, wow. a lot of famous faces within the All Saints camp. Sorry for Nicole, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, song-wise, uh, mm. this is... It's a slow sort of pop gospel thing about breaking up with a partner. Yep. The problem is that gospel as a genre leans unavoidably on actual singing ability mm-hmm. and an ability to convey real emotion through, you know, lyrics, however simple. Yep. Uh, they've got the simple lyrics, but the other two parts are a bit lacking here, which means they just end up sounding a bit like a choir made up of the Spice Girls uh, and an iMac G3 running some early pitch-shifting software. <laughs> I think this is the first one we've listened to so far where I found myself going, I think this has got auto-tune on it. Yeah. Or if it doesn't, it's got some 1998 equivalent, I think, of, yeah. Something anyway. that can control the pitch to make it sound yeah, less shit. Yeah, like but... because it's so stripped down... When the girls, it's not like wannabe where everyone's piling on top of each other and it moves too fast to be able to tell what's going on. That you yep. know, you can clearly see it. You can tell who's singing it at any time, and the music really leans on their ability to, you know. Anyway, absolutely. Look, um, so they were around for a few years, and I think they they yeah, broke they up were. and split for a while, and then they got back together. Uh, 2020, last year, April 14, during the COVID pandemic, they recorded a duet cover of Message in a Bottle with Sting. (laughs) Now, I'm uncertain as to, you know, like other Sting duets, whether this one resulted in a gangbang. We know that Sting, (laughs) sort of when he does his duets, he loves like him, Rod Stewart, but there are females in this, so I think he's sort of more... He was well past female stars at this age, yeah. The only thing that could get him off was a Stuart Adams three-way or a full-length mirror and a 12-hour mandolin box set, I think. (laughs) No doubt. Yeah. Um, And they they did... I do remember they had a pretty big hit with a song called Pure Shores, which I think was on the Beach soundtrack. mm Mm-hmm which was quite popular at one time. I know that's sort of in the UK, Europe and stuff. And they did a cover of the Red Hot Chili Peppers classic Under the Bridge as well. Sorry, I forgot that one too. Yeah, that's Um, right. Where they stripped out, I think, the drug references or tried to make it a bit more sort of, you know, (laughs) that's okay. That's good times. Uh, Does this have any lyrical highlights? I assume that it does. Uh, I can't imagine it doesn't. I can't imagine. Just not to get ahead of myself, but 98, <laughs> 98's a bit tough. Uh, never ever have I felt so sad. No, no, sorry. Never ever have I ever felt so sad. Good. The way I'm feeling, yeah, you got me feeling really bad. Good. You see, this is what I mean. For shit like this to work, you got to either have a better song so that the lyrics don't matter... Or if you want it to work as gospel, your voice has got to be powerful enough to fill these cat-ass lyrics with real emotion. Yeah. Or else you're going to have to think of a better way to describe the absolute worst black depressed grief you've ever felt than you got me feeling really bad. Yep. Like, I mean, and what did bad rhyme with? Sad. Bad. <laughs> they do rhyme, Tom, so they're, you're not, they're not wrong there. True. I mean, at least they didn't rhyme bad with bad two more times, so, yeah, which puts true. them ahead of some of the stuff we've had. But yeah, I mean... Yep. I don't know. I don't know what was in the water in 98, but it wasn't a good year for lyrics anyway. Yeah, look, I, I completely agree. I mean, you look at sort of someone that does um, not necessarily gospel, but, you know, we've had Celine earlier on in this episode. Yeah, doing, balladry. Doing something balladry, you're right. Um, both songs are boring as all shit, but Celine does have a good voice. Yes. And it's the same with when Whitney Houston would enter similar mm, territory. Totally. She's got a powerful voice. No one in this group really has the voice to pull this off. No, or someone like Aretha could belt this out with such kind of raw, you know, 
kind of cigarette voiced emotion that it would feel like it meant something even though the lyrics aren't much exactly. to lean on but yeah if you've just got sort of four sub Spice Girl voices then yeah yeah and when you and when, sub Spice no Girls as well you know. is, I mean Jesus they weren't the best <laughs> singers going around were they fucking hell no. so 1.6 mil for this on Spotify 2 cents yep that all adds up to me uh, anything else to say about this time? Nah, let's move on. All right, up next, Shania Twain. You're still the one. <laughs> oh, fuck, she for was... four weeks. She was so big in this year or two. Now, Shania Twain, um, she must have sold about a billion records. I mean... Fucking hell. This album that this song was off sold so many fucking albums. And it's, it's weird because... Uh, sorry, it's... um. Come on over. Come on over, yep. yep. It was so, fucking enormous. This is the only number one... Um, from that album we're going to talk about but there must have been about five other songs at the top ten because oh, yeah. fuck me yep. she was absolutely everywhere yes. for a and she got played in nightclubs too they played yep. it to dance to and stuff as well buddy you know yep <sighs> look um and <laughs> so you're she... not Brad Pitt no <laughs> Sorry, what's that fucking man song? I feel like man, a woman man I feel like a woman um and the other one um if you're not in it for love, I'm out of here. No, the one <laughs> you're not. So you're not Brad Pitt. That don't impress me much. That don't impress me. There's so many of them. I could, you know, <laughs> we've just reeled off. I can't remember them. So, so she was married to uh, Mutt Lang, mm-hmm. uh, who produced this album, Sorry. and he was also the dude that produced um, fucking ACDC back in Black, I believe. Yes. Def Leppard, Hysteria. So his combined album sales in terms of albums he's produced. Uh, there can't be anyone that's done more than this it's dude. Like he must tough. have the fucking biggest pool that you've ever seen. Who was that guy that um, Mariah Carey was married to? The head of Sony. Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, fuck, his name escapes me. Tommy. Was he someone? He. I mean, it's similar. Thing, yep. You know, it's just another massive record producer. That, yeah. You know, Absolutely. So um, she met Mutt Lang after he heard her original songs and singing from her debut album. Then he offered to produce and write songs with her. Um, yeah, so they first met at Nashville's Fanfare in 1993. <laughs> and they were married in 1993 as well. There you go. Met mm. in June 93. <laughs> married in December 93. Yes, keep that in mind. There you go. And um, then they had a son... A son um, in 2001 so unfortunately in 2008 Tom mm-hmm. um, the love couldn't last it was announced that Twain and Lang were separating after Lang allegedly had an affair with Twain's best friend shit so their divorce was finalised in 2010 and then in uh, June 2010 then in December 2010 it was reported that Twain <laughs> was engaged to the ex-husband of the person that her husband Ooh. had cheated on her with so it's like Snap. a couple swap. <laughs> so there you go. Do you reckon that was just revenge? Yeah, maybe. So it's like, <laughs> you've had an affair with my best friend. I'm going to fucking just marry her ex-husband now. So. Yeah, one of the few people in the world probably as rich as that guy as well. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's engaged to a Nestle executive. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, But Mutt wow. Lang, he, he's... Yeah, so that's, oh, a, that's yeah. a pretty weird sort of tale, um, obviously. So look, good times. Tommy Matola. 
That's who I'm thinking of. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, good. He's one of the few people who could have a swimming pool off. Him, yep. David Geffen, and Mutt Lang, I reckon, yep. would be, you know. Oh, definitely. Look, look. So, but the weird thing about that is that that's quite a lot of drama there, I think. So, you yep. know, she's got the producer husband who's produced all her hits, helped to sell all these records. He has an affair with a best friend. Oh, fuck Break you. up. She gets married to the other dude. You know, there's there's what I, I would have thought that with that sort of relationship drama and madness, she would have had enough material you know, from that, like Taylor Swift could get 10 <laughs> albums out of that sort of shit, you know what I mean? So I feel like that Shania could have written a whole album or several yeah. about this, but she just seemed to disappear. She sort of, did she just sell so many records? She went, fuck it, I don't need to worry well, about this. Well, hey, anymore. that's interesting you should say that, but that might explain why a lot of her music was so bland around this time is mm. because she was just really happy and in love. True. For instance, this song was written by Shania and... Uh, laying together about the fact that when they first got together people had their doubts about them because he'd just been married twice and was a producer Uh, you know hey at least she wasn't 12 when they (laughs) met but you know like you said they'd only they'd been together for like five months and then they got married and hence this song you know it's about hey fuck the haters you know like you know and I mean they were you know they were together for a whole decade before he boned her best friend that's true but perhaps if you know, and by the time that all that stuff happened, you know, I think she was pretty much out of the music recording, you yep. know, you know, in the, the, the big mainstream uh, hit factory area anyway. But perhaps if all of this shit had happened when she was at her musical peak, then she could have, you know, been the Taylor Swift of her day and written, you know, some oh, really... Yeah. F- or like Alanis Morissette and really written some really angry, shitty, you know, About, ballads. Um, Uncle Joey from Full House. <laughs> yeah, like, instead of this song, that. which sounds like a TV commercial for reasons that might become apparent if you lived in Australia for any length of time. Yeah, this is <laughs> because... one of the worst ones, I think. From Like, there's some of the other ones that she did which are... You know, they're a bit more upbeat, a bit more fun, but yeah, yeah. this sort of sucks. Yeah, know, even something like that don't impress me much. At least it's got a bit of a bite to it. This one's just like, you know, hey, look at us. We're still really happy, you know? Yeah, definitely. So yeah. look, um, but yeah, he, this this dude, so I'm just having a real quick look here. Yeah, some Def Leppard albums in there, ACDC. Billy Ocean. Foreigner. Oh yeah, Billy Ocean, exactly. Obviously Shania. Brian Adams, Waking Up the Neighbours. Uh, that probably sold a trillion albums as well. Yeah. So look... Um, but yeah, I mean, look, this album, um, which was, sorry, the song that this was on her third album, come on over. So, uh, best selling studio album by a female act in any genre. Wow. Of all time. Best selling country album of all time. I mean, is it really, is it, you know how, I, I have to say country in inverted commas because, Taylor Swift, I guess, as well, is one of those sort of country pop yeah. artists where you listen to it now and just go, these are just pop songs. And these are Shania At, songs are effectively yeah. just pop songs. Yeah, so. totally. At the time, I think the crossover artist idea was a bit more yep. original. But, I mean, there had already been people like, you know, male artists like Garth Brooks and, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus and stuff who had done, managed to be on the charts in both areas. But, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a recipe for just a bucket of cash you know oh no doubt it's, if you can manage to be number one on two separate entirely distinct pop charts with two separate groups of people who pay the same amount of money yep. for record sales I mean wow yeah 40 million sold is an absolute fuck ton so good on it's you Shania crazy. I think um, did she do that thing where years later she ended up doing like a Vegas thing or something I may have I, I don't know whether I imagine that or not like a Britney yeah. style I don't know what you mean. Like it a, seems like she would have yeah but whether that means she did or not I don't like know like 20 like sort of 
20 years after this, sort of like sort of mm. five years ago or something, said, I'm going to jump on and Sorry, do that. I didn't look up her more recent career you know, oh, because yeah. she's been a bit quiet. She has been know, very quiet. But, but yeah. look, um, I she might be in the Savage Garden uh, vibe where she's just like, fuck this, I've just made so much cash yeah. off this. Maybe I can just relax and just hang out with my new husband uh, that, you know, is my best friend's ex-husband. And do you reckon, they, do you reckon <laughs> they've sort of reconciled now and maybe they sort of... I like to imagine that they do a bit of role play where they pretend that they're the other people in the relationship and, you know... Yeah, definitely. Maybe a bit of gender swap as well. She pretends to be a, you know, record producer, 20, year older than, 20 years older than him. Yep. He pretends to be a young, up-and-coming country artist and, you know... For sure. ...takes Look, financial advantage of him, you know... There's a lot of combinations and <laughs> permutations in there. Pegs him economically. Yeah, it goes without saying. Look, there's, it sounds like there's a lot of fun there. Probably a sitcom that could come out of this, I think. <laughs> Think. so uh what else you got oh look not much i was just gonna say say what you like about lang but at least he but he realized how huge a canadian country artist could be if they combined this sort of country type pop with glossy production and kmart friendly sort of sexualized imagery of your all saints type bands but with someone who can actually sing mm-hmm. and she does have a good voice like you know she really does she's got a very smooth likable voice you know it's sort of like like her image. It's kind of sexy, but not too sultry. And, you know, it, yeah. I mean, she's Definitely. so hot that some called her the female Billy Ray Cyrus. Just Did me, they? Mostly just me then. In, <laughs> uh, in case you being, think I'm being extra pervy, I should point out that she's nude on the cover of this single. And oh, the yeah. album is called Come On Over as well. That was not accidental. Like, she was definitely sort of... They, her image was carefully sort of pegged speaking of pegging in the right <laughs> spot so yeah and it was incredibly shamelessly commercial like it was yep. yeah it These was must have some great lyrics uh, uh it was like i think you were going to say something about like oh, look, if I, you're australian you'll have an attachment to this song yeah I, of, I think uh was this the theme song for channel nine at some time or did mm, i just imagine that it was not like for a, some time for like a decade yeah it was okay friggin huge yeah. they had their own versions of it and their own promo ads and yeah still the yeah, exactly. So look, so Channel 9 used this for some time and I think that they were showing, um, well, I remember the first time I think I saw this, um, I believe the Bob Morrison show was on time. Um, and sorry, that's a super obscure reference. Uh, if you don't know the Bob Morrison show, it was an Australian sitcom from about, and I use the term sitcom loosely, from probably around this era, 98, mm. something like that. And it was about a dog and Tom, yes, the dog could talk. It was so. Could, could it actually talk, or did it just no, talk in it, its head? It talked in its oh, head. So, okay. so the dog would run around. It's like, oh, look at this guy. He's like, mm. oh, he's doing the washing up. Oh, how silly! Why is he washing the plates up? And everyone went, ha ha ha! It's a dog. Yeah. Like, and that's I think about the level of comedy. It was just mm. sort of like, oh, what's out this door? Oh goodness me! Oh, <laughs> the sprinklers on. Ah. It's just like for fuck's sake. So, look. Um, I'd like to say check it out, but I don't think you can watch it because I'm sure the masters were destroyed in a fire. Um, and not like an accidental warehouse fire. I think just someone threw them in a fire because <laughs> fucking hell, it was total dog shit. I don't think anyone's... I don't, no, there's been no... I'm the first person that's spoken about this yeah. since 1998. This I think is the kind of, it it's the kind of Australian sitcom that people remember vaguely when they make statements like, Australia can't make sitcoms. And they <laughs> sort of forget the occasional good outliers that do happen. What they mean is 
when Australia tries to make an American style sitcom like about a five year old rip off of Look Who's Talking or whatever, this is what happens. Like when we try to make friends, it turns into yeah. the Bob Morrison show. But you know, we remember, if, remember. Like we can make them sometimes, but they never look they don't look like the American kind. We can't do that yeah. kind. It just never works. It's, Hey, yeah. remember Look Who's Talking Now? Wouldn't it be funny if we made a sitcom about that? I don't think it would be. Well, let's do it anyway. I've already bought the dog. Let's just proceed. Didn't that happen five years ago? I don't know. I've been in a cocaine <laughs> haze for that time. Do I work in advertising or for Channel 9 or both? I can't even tell anymore. Just... I think a dog talking sounds fucking hilarious. Did I dream that? I yeah. can't even remember. Am it's... I awake now? It's, Where I, am I? I feel like I dreamt that show because it was so bad I can't sort of imagine anyone spending any creative know, effort on I know. it but alas they did does this have any uh, lyrics uh, that are worth repeating not really these lyrics they're all about as mentioned they're all about how you should develop a sentimental attachment to channel 9 even yep. though they inflicted hey hey it's so knowing you for half the 20th century sorry no I remember that was the TV commercial again no, these were all just about fuck the haters, we're still in love. Yep. Ain't nothing better, we beat the odds together. I'm glad we didn't listen. Look at what we would be missing. Uh-huh. Now, Ben, just to get step outside of lyrics for a minute, yep. does that sound like a metaphysical impossibility or is it just me? Mm. Like, without getting into quantum mechanics, yep. is it possible to aver- observe a thing that never occurred and if it did occur, can it be missed? Yeah. Okay. Can you miss something theoretically, Ben? Yep. Like all the good music that you could have heard if Shaunaya Twain had never existed that mm. would have been played in their place. Is it possible? Can you look at what you would be missing? Yeah. Yeah, look, it, it's a very good question. Um, and look, I think it's best answered by Cole's Radio Tom where <laughs> I think that they have demonstrated what I was missing because I was listening to Shania Twain. So I uh, think what did that turn out to be? Did it, by any chance, run to paradise? <laughs> it turned out to be run to paradise. Um, and, and also Belinda Carlisle's Wild Horses, I believe, or <laughs> Runaway Horses. But, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it, it is a good question. I think it does sort of get into, you know, outside the, the you know, the purview of this you know, podcast. If we start talking quantum physics and quantum mechanics, about <laughs> I just thought the it was more interesting what, than that song. Two uh, incredibly rich, attractive people telling each other how good they are for falling in love three years ago. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, interesting. Uh, <laughs> Shania Twain, eight point six on the spot. A five. So she's a bit less than I would have thought. Yeah, you know? look, she's been out of the game for a true, while. True. Yes. Um, true. But yeah. For, but so for someone that really hasn't done much for a while, that's a lot. But yeah. Yeah, it's hard to imagine many Gen Z giving a fuck about Shania Twain. No, but once once we take this song and add some Eurobeats to it, mm. Tom, as the B-side to our <laughs> Celine Dion Eurobeats song, I think kids will be like going, what the fuck? And it will, of course, be Shania Twain versus Ben and Tom. Sure. Uh, versus what, Celine. Versus perhaps. Celine, because we're going to bring the verses back. We're going to do that. <laughs> sure. uh, and we're going to do that, the Jason Nevin-style cover where you just take the actual song and add a new beat to it and then just yep. go, it's a, it's a new song, bro. I mean, sure, we'll have to give 100% of the song writing <laughs> royalty credit to someone else, but yep. look, it's not about the money, Tom. It's just about sort of... Uh, We're doing it for the love. We're doing it for the love. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Speaking of songs that you're deeply in love with, what's oh, next? Up next uh, for one week is Steps 5, 6, 7, 8. Now... I had for- genuinely fuck. forgotten this no, one. This was, I, yeah. No, Tom, I could... 
could I will never forget because <laughs> much as you mentioned Jason Nevins uh, <laughs> versus Run DMC at nightclubs, I can recall. Uh, so um, nineteen ninety eight, yeah, I would have turned. I would have probably just turned eighteen um, around this time. Going out age. Going out age. Uh, so I certainly recall this being on. And holy shit, look, someone once told me, Tom, that there, there are no bad genres. There are just bad artists within genres. Uh, but this shows that this isn't true, as the <laughs> genre being what sort of uh, hillbilly Eurodance is fucking <laughs> all dog shit. Yeah, now, in case you're thinking that surely there can't be more than one song that would fit into that category, <laughs> stick around for the rest of this year, because I had pretty much forgotten that this ever existed but it must have just been a very brief you know this you know short-lived thing that that somehow skipped past me i mean i do remember this yeah but yeah i mean look oh, look i mean a lot of people say that you know interesting question though by yep. the way what you're saying whether the question of whether there are such a thing as a bad is genre, there a bad genre or they i mean you know i think they're there probably are. I think there definitely are. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, I have heard people say, oh, look, there's no, you know, you pick it, you pick a genre you don't like, and maybe yeah. you just heard the worst, you know, not, I'll, That's I'll play you the best artist in that thing. But I think because most of this is, uh, you know, completely subjective, there's obviously going to be things that just never gel with you. Yeah. Uh, no matter whether it's like, this is the best artist in <laughs> the hillbilly Eurobeat sort of genre. It's like, I suppose best is relative. Yeah, exactly. But look, the thing is as well, Tom, that a lot of people, and, you know, this is a discussion that, that goes on. Can one you know, look at an artist and say, you're responsible for, for what comes after you. So from, from that, I mean, like, yeah. can we look at, can we look at someone like say Rage Against Machine and say, you know, objectively you did something that was original and different for music at the time and were very popular, but you obviously, there's a very clear through line between that and rap metal yeah. at the end no, of that I, sort of, you I, know what I mean? Legitimately, I've heard this, people having the same discussion with comedians and I don't yeah. think you can. Mm. You know, it's not it's not the same as your particular audience. You can't blame an artist for the people that they influence. In, oh, exactly. You can't. Right. You know. Exactly right. So you can't you can't look at sort of you know your grunge bands and say, well, you know, basically Kurt Cobain, you inspired uh, <laughs> Nickelback. Nickelback. You know. Yeah. So you're to blame, or <laughs> That's right. you know, Rage Against Machine inspired you know the rap metal things that were you know less good, I guess, than, than yeah. what became before it. So. I think in that way, does that mean we were able to give um, rednecks a pass? Because <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe is clearly the through line here yes. between this, because I think they invented the, the, the hillbilly Euro beat sort of genre. When was, when was Cotton Eye Joe? 94, I 94, think, or well, 95, something like that. So I was, I was going to say, if you do want to hear, for some reason, a not shit dance song, built around some bluegrass banjo. Yep. Uh, you can try Swamp Thing by The Grid. That got to number three in Australia and the UK in 94. Okay. And that is, I'd, I'd sort of, I'd almost forgotten that one too, but I was like, this reminds me of that as well. And that's a kind of, I don't know, maybe there was just from 90, 94 or? to 98. Yeah, it's it's more, It's but you know, it just, it shows that you could make a, less embarrassing oh, can't be worse than this I mean fucking hell so um, look the chorus my boot scooting baby is driving me crazy must be one of the worst of the 90s like yeah, I, I can't I remember sort of at the time sort of I reckon this song had been out for about five minutes and yeah. people were already like 
They would have, there would have been, if there was the internet back then, there would have been a lot of memes about how shit this is. Because yeah, I just sure. remember people like joking about how fucking garbage this was. Literally, ten, like even it, at the time. It feels yeah. like they recorded this in the studio, and by the time they got home that night, it was already dated yeah. and just horribly horrific. Um, but good Mary's driving me crazy. Such dog shit. You're now totally there's, right. there's uh, I'm, yeah, I can recall people singing it like, um, you know, this is one for the ages level of terrible, like at mm. the time. But that's the chorus. There's a rap bit in this, oh God, which yeah, there is, uh, yeah. and and this is this is hard for me to say because there is. <laughs> so much bad Eurodance <laughs> rap yeah, bit. It's almost a part of the genre. Yeah, it's pretty like much a standard of the genre. It is the standard of the genre. The chick doing the vocals and then the dude comes in and does a, a white rap. European yeah. guy with English as a second language drops some fat street knowledge on you in the middle of this this is probably worse than a dude <laughs> from from Denmark who has no English and mm-hmm. has sort of been forced to rap in English. Like the rap in this, I think, and these guys are from, I think, Ireland, are they? Or they're definitely, they're native English speakers, but the rap bit in this is sort of like yeah. so dog shit that I can't even imagine why they let it into the song. Like, wouldn't they have just listened to the student and just went, let's just not have the, let's just not have that rap bit. Let's just sort of have like a bridge with no vocals yes. in it for a bit. And we'll just do that because, oh, it is absolutely atrocious. Look, the, the, and what's, what I find so also shit about this is the music video, they're clearly trying to get a dance craze happening. Yeah. Like, there's a choreographed dancing in there. It's sort of yeah. like, hey, let's try and do like a fucking, you know, like the Macarena or something. We'll get people to learn these moves. But uh, the song was so bad that it just didn't take off. Well, not only that, but... Like it seemed to me as well that it's kind of like line dancing. Yeah, it is. It's but which was like six years late. Like even Shania wasn't doing this no. shit anymore, and she yep. was actual country for fuck's sake. I mean, we covered was Billy Ray Cyrus. That was what ninety one. Yeah, it was ninety two. Yeah. So, so it's ninety eight, and they're trying to get a they're trying to do a revival of it. Sort of remember that achy breaky techno heart? line dancing thing in clubs. Now did. A bunch of pissed people get up on stage and try to land dance in to nightclubs to this. Yes, they yeah, did. They did yeah. But you have to give them some, you know, some mercy because the next song that was going to come on was going to probably be an entrance remix of Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart. So you just worked with what you had, you, which was yeah. obviously this. But yeah, and alcohol, obviously. The, the video clip involves the dude members just driving around on quad bikes uh, on yeah, a beach. Yep. Uh, and then the chicks just doing the dance oh, moves. It has um, nothing to do with... I mean, it's even, it's even as much as the song means anything. I mean, fucking even Aqua, at least Dr. Jones kind of sort of half-arsedly looks vaguely yeah. like what they're talking about. Like, as we mentioned last episode, this... Steps is getting into the post Eurodance era. That is post Eurodance. The big four are a distant memory in the past. (laughs) Long, you know, they're a much missed. And now we're into the era of shit like Steps, S Club Seven, and Eiffel Sixty Five, who were frankly a poor shadow of Labouche, Melody MC, and the Real McCoy. Absolutely, all the videos look interchangeably like someone trying to reboot the Wiggles in Ibiza with shitter choreography. Yes, but just twenty year olds. (laughs) You know, and why Ben? Why? And more importantly, who? Who would try to rip off Eurodance and somehow make it more disposable but with worse lyrics? Yeah. And who the fuck would try to cash in off a line dancing song seven years late? Well, well, Ben, it might help if you turn the CD over, look at the back, have it put some powder on those fingerprints, yeah. and see the production watermark for steps 
is our old mate Peter fucking watering can from oh. stock aching watering fucking can. God uh, damn it. Really? He just keeps coming back. He's like Jason from the Jason Jesus. movies. Well, that, no how many times you cut off his head and piss down his neck so he gets hit by lightning and suddenly you're looking at four sort of half-arsedly shambling zombie 20-year-olds in bikinis on a beach in Ibiza. Ah, oh, Jesus. Well, that explains a lot because I didn't know that, Tom. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. When I was listening to this today, um, I actually thought to myself, fuck the production on this sounds yes, weak Yes, that's piss. what I mean. Like, Eurodance, <laughs> it's easy like... to listen to Eurodance in 92 and go, this is fun, but it's really disposable and stuff. Yeah. Listen to this and you're going, geez, piece of bass was quite well done. Yeah, like, they actually put some effort into the production. Definitely. Look, <laughs> All that she wants sounds pretty fucking good now. Look, Ice MC still gets me pumped up to this day. <laughs> so, right. look, I get, you know, I'll, I will fucking jump out of a window to Ice MC once oh, that sort of, uh, you know, when he starts listening to countries, it's fantastic. But, um, yeah, this I just went, sounds really thin. The production sounds super yes, thin. It's got the pretty stock, bad. Water and, and yeah, touch. fucking hell, yeah. that explains a lot. Yeah, fuck this. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, attempting to cash in on a line dancing craze 10 years after the fact is just fucking desperate. And look, interestingly, in the UK, this was the highest selling single of the 90s oh to goodness. not reach the top 10. So... So oh, not yet. Okay. So it didn't didn't make it in the top ten, but outside of songs that made the top ten, this was the biggest selling one wow. of the whole decade. So people were like, "We like it enough to buy a heap, but mm. not quite enough to get it into the top I mean, ten. I hate to say it, we give shit to the UK sometimes, but fucking yep. didn't even crack the ten there, and we've no. got it at number one. Jesus, top I mean, charts in Australia, one week, but still, like, and Belgium, seven so, days too many. Belgium, yeah, Belgium as well. Those guys know what's up. So look. Uh, yeah, what do you got for me, Eddie? Uh, lyrically, <laughs> the two pricks who wrote this are only credited with one other song each, which might explain why the verses aren't even lines. They're just casually smooshed together fridge magnets from the Walmart country fuck knuckle collection. <laughs> Things like tush pushing, thunderfootin', cowgirl twistin', no resistin', great. Drums banging, steel twanging, two stepping, end to end, hardwood crawling, four walling. That's just, that's what the verses are. It's just like words just kind of mushed together. Like, yeah. Definitely. And then it just says boot scootin' baby. Just if you thought that the chorus might come as some reprieve, you can get fucked. Look, Tom, I, I can also very clearly remember um, seeing people on the dance floor like absolutely just cranking you know some crazy dance moves to this <laughs> but but also sort of like just in a sort of um like i've had 27 maduran illusion <laughs> shakers um at club surreal in hobart i'm just gonna go ape shit to this and you'd sort of see them be like oh it's fun and then um it was sort of like if you ever saw that person again in the future and just went oh you know you saw you the other that just it just like didn't happen like it didn't yeah, exist it was sort of like agreement a, that it was just yeah exactly no I definitely wasn't dancing to steps um, yep. I, that, that wasn't me I don't know what you're talking about so yeah um, I was playing at the L-shaped pool table though at Club <laughs> so uh, yeah but look terrible absolutely terrible yeah. one million people still listen to steps on Spotify <laughs> Jesus I don't know who what are you doing um, and 70 cents uh, that's way too much money for this I don't know why, why 70 cents I don't know, not sure. Anyway, um, look, that sucks shit. So up next is, uh, look, 
one week again, Casey and Jojo all my life. Mm. Now, Tom, these guys are an off-brand boys to men. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, this is classic mid-90s R&B. Speaking of musical genres, I think this might be my least favourite <laughs> musical genre of all time. That's not a joke. I cannot think of a single song in this genre that I ever liked at any time. I would rather listen to the full post-Eurodance catalogue than listen to any song that starts with a descending Mark Tree glissando, yep. which is what that... You know what that is? It's that song that's the start of every single R&B song, which sounds like magic sparkles oh, from yes. a cartoon, yep. except instead of indicating that Cinderella's about to go to the ball after all, it indicates that four black guys are about to use musical rohypnol to try and ear-fuck you in a bubble bath <laughs> for the next four minutes, which will seem like 40, because there's no melody and the song just goes on and on and on. Look, when I hear that, though, I assume it's a joke when you hear that thing at the start. So when it's a serious song, you're well, like, oh, shit. Joke, but you're, like, you're, yeah. but you're like, oh, fuck. So, look, it's it's interesting. Brothers Casey and Jojo were founding members of the, quote, sexually provocative <laughs> swing beat outfit. Uh, is it is it Jodeki or Jodeshi? Jodeki? I am not the expert um, on this one. Look, they enjoyed several US chart hits during the 90s, including Lately, Get On Up, and my personal favourite, Freakin' You. <laughs> Um, What's which, the freaking you story? Uh, well, freaking you. It's uh, features of the week's Tom. Um, every time I close my eyes, I wake up feeling so horny. <laughs> I can't get you out of my mind. Sex and you be all I see. So sometimes you got to read between the lines with these lyrics, Tom, to sort of get to yeah, what they really lost mean. Me there. But but they they cut to the chase and just say, look. Sometimes I wake up, I've got a raging boner, and just you know, just want to bang you. So that's okay. So look. Good on them. The brothers just went, look, we want to get away from that sort of like overtly sexual nature. So we're going to come and do all my life. Let's do something a little bit subtler, a little bit softer. Some would say more, you know, significantly more boring. Um, but look, they've done that. <laughs> they split from Jodeshi to form their own. They successfully came uh, up with a hit straight away with obviously All My Life. And then they featured prominently on the two-pack number one single, How Do You Want It? Oh, okay. So they did a bit of work there as well. Um, look, the video clip for this is one of my favourites of all <laughs> yes. time, time of the 90s, because they're rocking white gloves, white scarf, white shirts with no collars, black jackets with no collars, and gold buttons up the middle. It's like sort of like... They're, sorry, yeah. they're, they're, that's not all together. They're in two different sort of scenes. Yes. But yeah, there's one where they're in all white, and then one where they're rocking that black. And I think the dude's got sort of like those speed dealer glasses. Yeah, sunglasses so, indoors at night. It's yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sick look, and um, I... <laughs> can't imagine that any chick would turn them down with those outfits, sure. especially once you say, I used to be in, in Jodeki. Not in 1998, no. no. Not once they'd seen your tiny little Matrix classes. Yeah, and look, if you th- interesting though as well, like listening to this, I sort of went, fuck, this sort of sounds familiar. Oh, okay. And, um, and it wasn't because of this. I sort of went, oh, okay, I can sort of remember this. And I think a lot of people can as well. Everyone will be like, going, yes, this does sound familiar. And it's because the song's piano line was sampled on uh, Nelly's 2007 song, uh, What's Your Name? Oh, okay. So Nelly fans out there are probably like, I do recognise this song very much. So I, yeah. I actually didn't notice the piano line. I just thought it was someone accidentally leaning on the pitch bend wheel on their <laughs> Yamaha home organ for four minutes. But yeah. Yeah, when I say yeah. piano line, I think I'm being quite generous, I think. So, look, um, Jojo, 
one mm-hmm. half of Jojo and KC. He said, quote, this song was originally supposed to be used for another artist, a female artist on AMN Records. Oh, okay. But then he also said, we listened to it. And after we got out of the studio, it was like, I'm keeping this. This is too hot. Sure. Now, too hot's one way to put it. Would you put it too hot or what I'd would you say? say derivative tedious and three years out of date, but then I don't like this genre. No, so I'm I was, was going to say too shit, but it is fine either way. So look, um, good on them for going hard on this. Uh, I respect them. Mm-hmm. For splitting with the group and doing their yeah, own thing. Sure. When Jodeshi were they're at the top of their game with, you know, freaking you, but they said, let's just <laughs> let's leave that behind and go and do this. Let's get some white and you know, all white is, you know, you, that mm-hmm. shit gets dirty real quick as well. So like, you know, any sort of <laughs> like you do sure, anything. Dry cleaning in a, in a bills away. Exactly right. So you look at that and just go, man, all white, that's a bold move. <laughs> but they did it and I respect them. Good on them. This must have a lot of great lyrics. <laughs> well, uh, it starts off well. Uh, the first song opens with the word baby repeated 12. That's a dozen times. Good. Uh, verse one is, I will never find another lover more precious than you. Mm-hmm. Girl, you are close to me. You're like my mother. Close to me. You're like my father. Close to me. You're like my sister. Close to me. You're like my brother. Now, I'm assuming the song was a big hit in Northwestern Tasmania. Yeah. Um, my question with all of these R&B bands is, did they actually like this shit or was it just to get laid? Look, and it, has to be the, it has to be I, the latter. I, I don't. Because there just doesn't seem to be any rhythm in these songs. There doesn't seem to be any soul in these songs. It's just like sort Not of... happening. Yeah, even as seduction, like, you know, like the average James Brown song is more seductive. But I don't know, maybe I'm just... I don't even say I'm too old because I was 18, 20 at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. Hey, maybe I'm just too white to get it. That's look, quite I, possible. I, I don't know why JC and Jojo didn't look at sort of, you know, some of the forefathers, some of the, you know, heavy hitters of the genre, some of those that really paved the way for <laughs> good songs in this genre. I'm talking, you know, like your Colour Me Bads. I don't know why they sort of didn't look at those yeah, guys and say, let's do something more DeVoe fun. sound Bill like Bill DeVoe. NWA, you know? At exactly. least Bill Booth DeVoe was kind of dancey, you know? For sure. Look, we Love, I love Belle Biv DeVoe. Um, you know, BBD. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know why they didn't look at that, sort of Belle Biv DeVoe, Colour Me Bad, those really hardcore mm. dudes. <laughs> Gangster rappers, rappers out on the street. And just went and did something better than this. But look, it's a number one mm. in True. Australia. So, so look, they, they did it. They got there. They made it in the end. So it's good. 2.1 mil on Spotify. Wow. That's a lot. Fucking, I mean, that's heaps. I don't know how much Jodeshi have, but... Um, they had quite a, a few albums, yep. so they must have gone on selling to yep. people who do not normally listen to this yep. Aria chart. Exactly. And look, 20 cents for this, so yeah, that's probably about right. Um, you got anything else to say about this? No, please. Cool, no problem. Moving on, um, for six weeks, uh, 21st of June is... Look, Tom, we saw it in 1992 that you could get a number one uh, out yes. of the theme... For the Olympics with uh, Amigos yep. Para Sempre. Remember that oh, bullshit? God. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that sucks. So why not get the theme for a football World Cup yep. up to number one? And you know who did that? I'll tell you right now. It's Ricky Martin with the uh, Cup of yes. Life. Olay, olay, olay. Exactly right. Exactly. So, um, look, fantastic. FIFA came knocking and they said, look, hey, Ricky, we want you to record a song for the France 1998 World Cup. And this is what happened, Tom. Mm-hmm. He recorded that song, number one in Australia for six weeks, True. okay? Voted the best World Cup anthem by several publications, <laughs> the number yes. one. 
I mean, uh, be cool. What is the fucking competition, though? <laughs> I mean, you've got 1966 World Cup Willy. <laughs> Fuck knows what that is, but it sounds terrible. Um, 1994 Gloryland by Daryl Hall. Mm. God, so one half of Hall and Oates doing Gloryland sounds like a real weird <laughs> sex club, sort of somewhere out yeah, of Berlin. Around about this time, there was Three Lions by fucking oh, those two British comedians, Badil and Skinner, which is effing appalling as well. <laughs> I used to find them kind of funny around this time when I was yep. like this age, but Jesus Christ, that sucked. Um, you've got 2002, you've got Boom by Anastasia. Uh, I don't know what that is, but I assume that's fucking awful. 2010, you got Sign of a Victory by R. Kelly. Now, that's cancelled, obviously. I mean, <sighs> fucking hell. I don't... Sign of a Victory, R. Kelly. Don't know what that is. I, I didn't listen to it. current Sign of a Victory would be getting out of court scot-free. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Look, I, I didn't want to listen to it on Spotify. For sure. I mean, you listen to one R. Kelly song on YouTube and then the algorithm sort of turn real dark, so you don't want to do <laughs> that. Um, and then 2014... We are one, ole ole, Pitbull featuring Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> so when they say that Ricky Martin, the cup of life, is the best of all time, they're probably not wrong, to be honest, because there's a lot of shit <laughs> hey, in that list. it's possible. It's possible. Yep. I mean, the fact that this was at the top for six weeks in Australia, which is not traditionally a football, uh, soccer playing no, nation, shows that it crossed over and people liked listening to it outside of that context. So exactly. that's something, you know. Cup of life. Mm. Ole, ole, ole. I think, I think drunk people like guess going ole, ole, ole. I guess sure. you're pumped up. Exactly. Look, I actually thought, Tom, the cup of life was uh, that cup from Indiana Jones in the last crusade, crusade you know, where he, he sort of walks <laughs> the across to drink that cup. I thought that was a cup of life. I thought it was that. Um, that would make or, more sense, yes. Or maybe a bubble tea might be the cup of life. Or there's that thing they have at, at Hungry Jack's, which is like an off-brand like bubble tea. I think mm. it's got like bursty. I don't know what the fuck you know, we're talking about, but yeah, I, a kid told me to say that. Tom, I don't know what that even is. Bursties, I don't know what that is. But so yeah, um, trying to appeal to a younger audience here. So I'm trying to get something that twelve-year-olds might like. But yeah, so Cup of Life, um, fantastic. This is obviously Latin vibe. This is like, yes. is this prime time for this sort of Latino? Vibe so. type. Yeah, this was uh, Jennifer Lopez is starting to take off. I think so, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people called Ricky Martin the Latin George Michael. Mm. Um, you might notice there I'm using the sophisticated Donnie Trump technique of employing the word some to mean one and people <laughs> to mean a person called me just then, a prefix which can be then be followed by any statement in the entire world and not be technically inaccurate. Provided True. your brain is made of lukewarm goose shit. Some people say I have a 12-foot penis bin. Some people say ducks can fart rainbows into the heart of the sun. <laughs> Some people say that oxygen is a form of breakdancing. But I do reckon that Ricky Martin's a bit like George Michael personally. Look, I think that's good, Tom. What you need to do is you need to go into George Michael or uh, Ricky Martin's Wikipedia page and you need to put that in <laughs> as a thing and then it becomes a fact. So and I okay. attribute it to myself. Exactly. Quoting that article in an infinite Mobius strip that no journalist could ever possibly be fucked, you know, looking up or questioning. Yeah, exactly. You, well, sorry, yeah, you got to do it on a blog and then you got to quote yes. that blog in the thing and, and then, then you quote it back to the back original. To that. Yep. So, look, I think that's pretty good. Look, um, you're right. To say that he is the Latino George Michael, I'm on board with that. <laughs> and I think that, you They're know. They're both immaculately maintained guys who are yep. purported to be heterosexual for a long time. They had crossover success. In other countries, uh, beyond their own, yep. and did a lot of pop stuff, did ballads, yep. love songs, but also, you know, some pop, you know, 
Definitely. mainstream pop stuff. But, you know. But hey, do we know if Ricky know Martin um, spent a lot of time in the gay toilets like George Michael? <laughs> we don't know that. We're not quite sure. Hey, I'm not from Puerto Rico, so. No, I he, he may him. well. He might have a map as well of all the Puerto Rican gay <laughs> toilets as well, much like George did. Look, he's been performing. So, George, uh, sorry, not George. Mm. I've got him on my mind now, Tom. Ricky. Ricky, look, performing since he was a child, he was in a boy band, uh, then several Spanish language solo albums. Yep. He did, and then obviously um, it was this song that first broke him on the world stage, if you can believe that. Yeah. It seems like he's been around forever, but this was one of the first ones. Um, and he backed that up with Living La Vida Loca. He did. She's living the crazy life. Uh, and his first language, uh, English language solo album came out um, next year, I think, 99, and sold 15 million copies. So yeah. obviously this was great promotion. I seem to remember him performing at some major Australian sporting event around this time as well, doing She Bangs, which I think was the next <laughs> one after that. Which is well, fucking great in terms of yeah, like... Yeah, it just... I mean, Australians loved him, clearly. Like, oh, it wasn't definitely. just... You know, we, we really liked him for a while there, but... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. As, as you mentioned, sorry, uh, he no, got go. his start in uh, Menudo. Do you know Menudo, Ben? I don't. No, I don't, Tom. They are this sort of interesting proto boy band from Puerto Rico who started in 1977 and have essentially been performing and reforming since then until the present. So they sort of swap members out. Yes, okay. as yeah, they right. age out and stuff. They, I think they wrapped up officially in 97, but then a group split off and did a separate one and then they reformed and went back and reformed. From their original five members, yeah. guess how many they've had? Oh, 77. 77, including Ricky Martin. So what's that, like 45 years? <laughs> oh, like 100? No, they've had 38 members. Okay. <laughs> Two of them are dead. Now, okay. yeah, yeah, no, you're right. I was kind of hoping it would be more than that, but when you scroll down through them on a Wikipedia page and you see deceased in front of a couple yeah. of people, like, Jesus. Also, when you see the original the original five from 77, it's, it's kind of endearing how there's no polish to them at all. They, they all look like the youngest dorkiest pimpliest child <laughs> from like a Brady Bunch era sitcom yep. like with just like a stripy t-shirt in it so they clearly weren't going off sex appeal I think it must have no. been just like what are these 14 year old girls into now they like these pop dorks we get like <laughs> five of them about their age that'll do but yeah there's yep. also if you really want to you can see an early video of like it must have been at the start of Oprah's career before oh. she had her own show. Okay. She's like on, on she's like doing uh, vox pop stuff on TV, and she's interviewing Menudo on stage, and like oh. so, it's like four eighteen year olds and one guy who looks like about thirteen, and that's Ricky Martin, nice. and she's saying like, "How does it feel to be the newest member of Menudo and stuff?" And like, this, yeah, awesome. this isn't like grainy VHS <laughs> quality. <laughs> Sorry, but um, yeah, so like he's been around for a while, even Absolutely. though like in this he looks very young and stuff, but you know. Now, Tom, would it better, you know, you just asked me that question. I said, Hunter, would it be better for you if I set a figure under 38? So <laughs> with, we can, let's go again. Go. Ask me the question. Go one more time. From their original five members, guess how many they've had? Oh, 16? <laughs> 38. What? Ben, that's nearly double. My, actually. That's, that's way more than you know, I would have. That's think, crazy. You know, Tom, I blame insane. myself there partly because to me, 1977. <laughs> 
while it seems like a while ago, doesn't seem like what, what actually is, what was it, 45 years yeah, ago. That's yeah. If you figure it as 45 years, that's less than one new person a year, which is not that weird, really. I mean, there are rock bands that have one new person a year. Oh, exactly right. <laughs> I mean, there's probably, the Wiggles have probably had 38 people by this stage. <laughs> Fuck knows what's Sorry, going on with that. So. Please, let's get it. So good. Now, on. look, so you mentioned, look, I think, is this the high watermark of his career, the, the cup of life, or is it uh, Living La Vida Loca? where he rhymes that with her skin's the colour of mocha. Mm, Great mm, lyrics, those ones. But then she bangs, just cuts to the point. It's, it's just like, she is that just basically she she likes to fuck? Is that, well, or is it sort of more subtle than that? At the time, people were wondering whether, I guess, whether bangs is some sort of, you know, doesn't have the same euphemism in Puerto Rico or yep. Latin America than it does yeah. here. But I don't know. I think he knows the euphemism. I think he does, absolutely. Look, so Ricky, obviously, after this red-hot cup of life action, uh, Mm -hmm. he performed this song during the first inauguration of George W. Bush in 2001. The cup of life? Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of... uh, I find it odd, but you know, because he's not, so he's not from the US. So I guess, no. how does that work? Does sort of, so George W. Bush says, look, I'm becoming president, fantastic. I get to choose the artists, or does someone sort of say, oh, George, you should have these? You know, I don't know how it really yeah. works, but sure. him sort of coming up and doing the cup of life, look, I don't, I'm, I, I like it. I think it's fucking brazen. I'm, I'm totally oh, on board I mean, with that. Um, but it was ranked, quote, one of the best inauguration performances of all time by several sources <laughs> that I looked at at the internet. Mm, um, was, this the, was this the Donald Trump yeah, very much so. circular loop technique? Yeah, so if that's the best, what do you think would be the worst inauguration performance? Um, Obama had Beyonce, mm-hmm. uh, U2 and Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. and Stevie Wonder. Yep. Uh, Trump had Three Doors Down. Sure. I mean, that's, a, that's a little bit unfair. Don't forget he also had Toby Keith. Oh, sorry. Uh, those four little girls who Trump wouldn't pay, or the piano guys. <laughs> that's actually their name. They're called the piano guys. It's so, sort of, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'd probably say Beyonce. She's probably worse than she is, the yeah, piano she's, guys. She's definitely, when you get she's down a, yeah, she is the worst. But, yeah, it's, it's sort of funny, isn't it, that you sort of like go, okay, George Bush, W. Bush had, yeah, Ricky Martin, Obama had Beyonce, U2, Bruce Springsteen, Stevie Wonder, you know, mm. some of the biggest artists of our time and maybe of all time. And then Trump had three doors down. I mean, for and fucking They were the sake. biggest ones. The, on the, the biggest one. I, I looked back through the friggin' Wikipedia just to see if maybe I'd forgotten that there was, some, like, maybe I was like, maybe Kid Rock played. Did I Crazy Town show up? I don't nope. know, but yeah. What was three doors down's one half hit that they had? Oh, look, it, it's the, the thing is that I think I've <laughs> actually erased it from my memory. So <laughs> I. I, I keep wanting to say semi-charmed life or something like that, life. but I don't even think that was someone else. I think. Oh, look, it's <sighs> the the problem with Three Doors Down is it's one of those names that you. Uh, I sort of said it as a joke, but mm. then once I drilled down on my actual knowledge <laughs> of them, I'm just like going. I don't really know if I can sort of um, what so for the audience. What I'm doing is I'm trying to fill in. I'm talking <laughs> while I Vamping. look at the Wikipedia. Yes. So kryptonite. That's it. That was yeah. their one. Number eight in Australia. So we won't get to talk about that, unfortunately. Mm. So that was their biggest hit. And then um, <laughs> here without you, reached number two in Australia. 
Oh, and, okay. uh, I don't I don't know what that is, but yeah. Anyway, they're great, and um, looking forward to maybe maybe the end of the the decade wrap. We can factor <laughs> in some three doors down if need be. Sure. I mean, um, I would do a post grunge wrap, but it's frankly too depressing. Yeah. Look, lyrical highlights for this has um, to be a load, don't they? Well, I it mean, it's ole, 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 It's or? mostly that, and everything else is sort of vaguely soccer related. Uh, the cup of life. It's do or die. It's here. It's now. Turn up the lights. Push it along, then let it roll. Push it along. Go, go, gold. I'm assuming he's talking about the football there, and he doesn't want you to drop the cup of life on the ground and kick the shit out of it. No. So, yeah, it's kind of, you know, again, you get the gist of what he's talking about. Really, it's just words to fill in until you get to go. Ole, ole, ole. <laughs> yeah. All right. Exactly. Okay. No, no, no. Um, sort of vagabond style. Strike those balls, <laughs> sort of. Um, in there, probably not. Speaking but. of three doors down, who have yep. we got next? Oh wow! Well, look, Tom, we've got uh, probably one of the best of the decade, isn't it? It is Goo Goo Dolls <laughs> with Iris for five weeks. Mm. Boom. Speaking of post grunge, absolutely, Tom. Look, people worried. Um, you know that. Rock was dead after the death of Kurt Cobain, but let's just say rock and roll is alive and well. So, look, Goo Goo Dolls, great band name. Don't know anything about where that Mm. came from, but sort of um, sounds great. But look, what I like about uh, this song particularly is that this has become a popular wedding song. So Avril Lavigne... Picked it for the first dance at a wedding to the Sum 41 frontman, apparently. Yeah, that's um, just about in 2006, basic enough. But they divorced in 2010. <laughs> so I think that this is what this. So based on sort of the data that I've looked at, Tom, which is just one solitary case, but I think that qualifies as data. If you choose this song as your wedding song, first dance song, <laughs> you will be divorced within five years. That's yeah, what I'm let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, put yourself in the female shoes for a minute. Yep. Do you reckon it's better to be married to the Sum 41 frontman yep. or the Nickelback frontman? <laughs> Oh, that's tough because Avril Lavigne was engaged to the guy from Nickelback for a while, wasn't she? So look, oh, look, Jesus, that's sort of... Uh... Oh, let me ask you this. Would you rather have Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls played at your wedding yep. or um, You Remind Me by Nickelback? <laughs> or perhaps that... look at this photograph as your first dance <laughs> at your wedding. What's the one that starts with, um, I like your pants around your feet? <laughs> I think it's called, I like your pants around your feet. Yeah, look, I think I'd take Goo Goo Dolls um, 100%. Yeah, I would actually. One, this, so is, this is better than Nickelback. Oh, for sure, absolutely. So look, um, so this song was written uh, by the Goo Goo Dolls for the movie City of Angels. Ah, uh, yes, yep. So um, it's sung from the perspective of Nicolas Cage's character. Mm-hmm. So when they were, apparently I think they were the, the band Goo Goo Dolls were you know given some idea about what this film is about. Yeah, so they, the, the cover of the single has a shot from the film exactly. on it, so it must have been a proper. So I think this wasn't just like a we've written a song, no. put it in the film. It was like, look, here's what the film is about. Try and do that. So in the film, so it's sung from the perspective. Sorry, from the perspective of Nicolas Cage's character in this in the film. If you haven't seen it, mm-hmm. Cage plays an angel. Yeah. So he's sent to help humans make their transition to the afterlife. That's yep. the concept of this. Nicholas Cage, one of his, is it one of his finest roles? <laughs> probably. Probably. I'm more of a National Treasure fan. You know that, Tom. But um, sure. look, he's he's. 
the problem with Nicolas Cage is it, the, that IMDb I mean, is like so long these right. days. There's a lot of good shit in there. I so, hear he does good work in Pig, actually. Oh, I've heard that as well. I haven't seen it, but look, <laughs> no. I will get around to doing anyway. it. Um, I watched Mandy, though. That was, that was good. It's pretty fun, good. isn't it? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, when he falls in love with a human, played by Meg Ryan, he must choose, Tom, between love, mm-hmm. Meg Ryan, or eternal life. Ah, uh, yes, the old vampire conundrum. That sort sure. of thing. Do you choose love or do you choose eternal life? So that's what this song's about. Um, <laughs> do you pick that up? Did you pick that up from uh, the lyrics or just well, from the general vibe? N- no, but it does. <laughs> it does make sense that I would say the lyrics make more sense in that context. I will, I'll yep. give them credit for that. Like they're not the worst lyrics. This, in fact, they might be some of the better lyrics this year. And, you know, when you put them in their context, they do make a certain kind of sense. I was going to ask you, do you think, like, how do you think it would affect your image of your band if a a song that you did specifically for a movie soundtrack, like, written to order song became your biggest hit that you ever had? Do you reckon you'd be grateful or do you reckon you'd always, at the back of your mind, you'd always be thinking, then fucking all the stuff we did you know, that I came up with myself. And the one that's a big hit was this one that I wrote, knocked off this movie soundtrack. I don't know. I suppose you'd be grateful for the cash, but, you know. Yeah, it is a tough one, I think. You do, you bring that up, Tom, because um, the Goo Goo Dolls story is one as old as time. (laughs) So it's a terrible band name. Let's, let's let's get over that. But you know, once we've done that, so they started off as sort of like a a punk, punk rock type, Old rock band that sort of did some stuff. I think they've been together since the '80s, so they've sort of done, sort yep. of operated in that sort of, um, you know, they weren't really a grunge band, so they didn't really hit that sort of big um, time when yep. all the grunge bands hit. But they were sort of operating in that sort of parallel alt rock, college rock sort of yep. thing. And then, yes, you are correct. Most people only know them for this one song off a soundtrack. So, do you sort of say? Look, it was nice to cross over into the mainstream for a bit. We probably had more people at the concerts, sure. made a bit more cash, but we've also got this whole other body of work that no one gives a fuck about. Yeah. They just want to hear this song from the film. I mean, yeah, most people know them for this song, but they weren't a one-hit wonder. No. They appeared in 19 different top 10 charts around the world for, you know, combinations of various songs. They sold 15 million albums. That's pretty good. Um would they have achieved that success if they'd stuck with their original band name, Sex Maggots? Oh, definitely. Personally, I find Sex Maggots about as equally disgusting as the name Goo Goo Dolls. I don't know why. That might just be me personally. I had I do not like the name Goo Goo Dolls. They're I definitely find it really gross. They're equally as bad. I think that goes without saying. But so. I think yeah, I don't think you sell 15 million albums called Sex Maggots. You know. No, you don't. But you can sell 15 million albums called Chumba Wumba, I think. So maybe you can't. Or maybe I don't know if they sell well, that many. But yeah. yeah, fair so point. I'm not quite sure. So yeah, but you're right. Look. Uh, Love this song from this film. Obviously, everyone does. It's, you know, I, I have the lyrics tattooed on my back. I have the, <laughs> you know, I didn't do this at my wedding just because I knew that the whole Avril Lavigne scenario. Um, but, you know, at my funeral, Tom, yeah. um, please, <laughs> if I pass away before you do, please make sure they put this on the on that playlist. I'd rather have this at my funeral than my wedding, I reckon. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Get this on my funeral. But what I want you to do is I want you to add 160 BPMs underneath <laughs> it and then play it at my funeral. I think that will sort of oh, get Oh, obviously I'll get DJ Sammy to remix it. <laughs> definitely. That goes without saying. Yep. And look, this wasn't the band's first soundtrack success. They landed of the modern rock hit when the song Long Way Down oh, really? was used in the 1996 film Twister. 
<laughs> so I don't know when. I think that was was that played in the film when the like Helen Hunt was like getting sucked up in the twister. Like I don't know what happened there, but look, I think that's sort of. Um, it's a great film. Uh, that's a great song as well. So look, these God, guys. In the '90s, you really had to have a pop song in the film, didn't you? Oh, Even if it had yeah. fuck all to do with anything. Absolutely you right. Really did. Yeah. I mean, at least this is vaguely related to the film. I guess yep. it's a romantic film, so you get a romantic song, and it kind of matches, sort yep. of. You know. Now we've brought this up before. Is this? And I think I know the answer, Tom. But I need to ask the question: <laughs> Is this post grunge? I would say yes. In fact, I would say there's even, like, having lived through it and paid some attention to it, I'd say there's post-grunge, which includes this mm-hmm. and some of the other bands from this era, such as Creed and that oh, sort of thing. Yeah. And that's sort of um, the bands that came along to fill in uh, a bush and so forth as the original bands were dying off. And then there's post-post-grunge, which is absolute horseshit, like Hinder, Nickelback, <laughs> etc., that came along that make you long for these guys, you know where it's just like we need people have gotten accustomed to listening to this kind of thing on uh, MOR radio and we need something to fill in the gaps with something that sounds like hard rock and grunge but isn't anywhere near as tough or as interesting as they were you know so not quite heavy metal not quite grunge just sort of nothing I like your pants around your feet etc <laughs> you know sounds macho but isn't really it's a it's Canadian ex trampolinist with a paddle pop lion mullet yeah. whining about nothing look it is funny because you obviously have the original move in any sort of genre and we use grunge as an example here but you've got that then you have sort of the bands that come immediately after that that are sort of like maybe Mm. just not in the first way but close enough to sort of be I guess respected or like I can see what's going on there then you've got a group of bands after that that people just assume are opportunists just complete bullshit like oh you know we saw that that was popular we're going to jump on board then there's a period where people just fucking hate all that stuff (laughs) and then maybe 20 years later bands come along and people are like oh it's a quote grunge revival yes, or something like yeah. that and then it's okay again so sometimes that can work sometimes they strip mine it and keep the good stuff and leave the, leave the nickel back behind yeah. you know? so I think if you're doing a timeline these guys fit into the just after the OG yes. bit where it's okay yeah, the but, mid, mid to late 90s is but as way. we're going to learn in the early 2000s there's some more coming <laughs> that fits into post grunge that oh, yeah. some may say um, isn't quite as good as but this. as you were saying before, I don't reckon it's fair to blame, you know, Nickelback on Pearl Jam and Nirvana. You know, no, they didn't you, foresee you that can't. that would, you know, that was not what they were thinking anyway. Yeah, exactly. Look, um, so at the time this was released uh, in the US, mm-hmm. I'm talking about here, um, they didn't release this as a single. This was sort of that oh, whole, let's get people to buy the album. Yeah. Let's, you know, get them to pay 20 bucks for an album instead of like five bucks for a CD single or something. It does seem to have been more effective than I would have thought Absolutely. So no one bought this as a single in the US, obviously, because it wasn't released. So it wasn't a number one there, but based just off radio play without the... They must collate that in as well somehow in the US off the radio play charts. It it still made like... Not number one in the US, but still sort of got into like a top 10 or 20 sort of situation. So, yep. But yeah, look, this song was kind of everywhere for a period of time. I remember hearing this a lot at the time. Well, lyrically speaking, I would say most people 
even if they don't think that they've heard this song, even if you don't feel like you've heard the Goo Goo Dolls or we can't remember Iris, yep. you would. if I played you the chorus right now, you would know it, I think. It's the one that goes, and I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand when everything's made to be broken. I just want you to know who I am. Mm. I, sorry, please forgive my horrible, horrible voice. I mean, I guess that makes sense in the context of a remake of Wings of Desire, but like a lot of grunge lyrics, you've got to really wrestle it onto the ground to get it to mean much. Yep. But it does have a kind of rhythmical, you know, a kind of memorable quality. That That's what I mean. I reckon people would remember this chorus even if they've long forgotten where yep. they heard it, you know. Absolutely. Which is that's something. That's harder to do than it sounds, you know. Look, power to the Goo Goo Dolls, um, because they've got 8.6 million listeners on Spotify. And I, and that's a lot that more than some more. significantly bigger artists that I think we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, totally. So good on them. They because must I, have a lot of dad fans or a lot uh, of, I a don't lot know. Of dudes are, I think this is probably still getting rocked on, um, because yeah. what, back in the day, people might make a mixtape for like a chick that they want to bang you know, in their class at school or something. I assume the modern equivalent of this is you make a playlist for some chick that you want to bang, and then and I assume that this just is on all those playlists. It's yeah, like, true. Oh, he's, oh and yeah, they great. could well still be touring around on the kind of nineties nostalgia tours as well. No doubt know, of the UK, like with no doubt, probably, <laughs> <laughs> probably <laughs> for sure. Gwen's better than this time. I don't know. I'm not really sure. But yeah. Um, so look, that's good. Uh, look. Yeah, so eight point six on the Spotify. Fucking hell, that's a lot. Of Seventy five cents to buy. And that's um, the most expensive one this year too. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, look, um, but look, I think Tom, um, this is a new segment of the podcast called Stocking Stuffers, <laughs> and I'm saying that for seventy five cents, if there's a girl, you know, she's in your class at school, um, or a work colleague sure. that you have, you know, you sort of totally a, you don't you don't really know how to sort of broach that. Um, make sure she's not married first. Definitely do that. <laughs> otherwise, it's just going to get real fucking awkward. But if she is single, um, probably give her a copy of Iris <laughs> for Christmas, 75 sure. cents on CD single. And I think that can sort of break the ice a bit. Sure. sure. Um, and then maybe you can take her to see um, City of Angels at like a one of, like a drive-in that plays That's like right. old shitty films Just in the 90s or something. Make sure she's over 35 or she's going to go, what's this flat piece of plastic? Do I eat this? Yeah, exactly. If the chick you have a crush on is 23, this will not work. Sorry, <laughs> I should have put a disclaimer at the start. Young people do not know what CDs are. They'll be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So there you go. Um, so yeah. Anything else to say about Iris? No, let's move Have on. Have you seen City of Angels? No, I tried watching Wings of Desire, the the old black and white yep. one, but I was a bit mystified, as I often am by Wim Wenders, whether I feel like, am I missing the point, or is this really boring, or both, or is that on purpose? But yeah, so I, I probably missed out. I, I think I wasn't the intended audience. Yeah, that. look, I saw the music video for the Goo Goo Dolls Iris, which had a few <laughs> cutscenes from... City of Angels, so like I, I feel like I've seen the whole sure. film. So that's a good thing. You can watch this. This is you can watch the video clip for free on YouTube, and I feel like you get the whole ninety minutes sure. City of Angels experience in like sort of four minutes. So just do that if you want to know what the film's about. Um, it's just him being an angel and some love story bullshit. So, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, up next, 6th of September for one week, Lighthouse Family. Hi, Tom. Now, <laughs> I thought I knew what this song was. Yeah, it's the first one that pops into my head. Too. And then it started playing and I realised I had no <laughs> fucking idea what the hell I was talking about. I thought this was that song that goes, She's so happy. Above me, she's so lovely. But then I realised that that was by Canadian singer-songwriter Ty Buckman, whoever the fuck that is. It was, it was covered is. by some Brits in the nineties in the Britpop era, and that was a big hit. I can't yep. remember their names, but yeah, that is a better song than this one by some distance. I will say personally, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's called "She's So High." This is just high. Yeah, exactly. So um, with this one, uh, this is by some dudes from the UK. And it's pretty fucking boring. It is You're feeling that is hella that, boring. Yeah. The, the the band are also boring. The most interesting thing about them is that there doesn't seem to really be anything interesting about them at all that I could find through trying to dig up. They two guys met in '93 at uni, started a band, got signed, sold some easy listening albums, broke up, reformed, did another easy listening album, and are still touring. They're not family. They don't live in the lighthouse. Although listening to this song made me fucking want to move into one. But yeah, this was their biggest hit. It's one week in Australia, but I think they did better in the UK. They had a few top 10 hits there, but I didn't bother checking them out as this was so shit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, look, Tom, you're right. Look, uh, I think the, the fact they're called Miss... Uh, yeah, you're right. Lighthouse Family is misleading. I was deceived. I thought you're right. I was. I assumed they were brothers. I assumed they were. They were a family that probably lived in a lighthouse, and then I found (laughs) out that they just weren't. They lived in London or something, and I went, "Well, that's bullshit." Um, So we've we've sung the other song where it's like, you know, she's so high above me, she's so lovely. This one is, uh, we are gonna be forever, you and me, always keep me flying high in the sky. Um, Now. I don't know whether my singing was pretty bad there. I wasn't actually trying to do it, but um, if you can, you does anyone remember that? Probably not. Look, it sucks shit. Uh, look, biggest hit in Australia. They had a few, yeah two other. You said that Tom, couple oh, of other really, top tens really. in the UK. Um, but yeah, look, I don't know. Uh, the album was called Postcards from Heaven. <laughs> I mean, fuck God that. Damn it, that sucks. Well, I mean, it's sort of like, so what do you bad. want to call your album? Postcards from Heaven? Surely someone, either a manager of the band, the member of the band that didn't come up with that, <laughs> you know, someone at the record label, someone should have said, are you fucking sure? That's that's atrocious. Postcards from Heaven? I mean, this isn't a gospel thing. This isn't a Christian thing. I assume not. You know, that's just fucked oh, on all man. levels. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's friggin' terrible. But then that, you know, as you said, the lyrics... The, the lyrics seem like the kind of thing that would be written by a band whose album was called Postcards from Heaven and it would yeah. call the Lighthouse Family. Even the Lighthouse Family is probably more interesting than the rest of the stuff. Like, I mean, you, you sort of covered it, really, but, I mean, good news for everyone listening to this at 4am with insomnia, motherfuckers. So just lie down, turn the volume up, and listen to this. And at the end of the day, remember the days when we were close to the end and wonder how we made it through the night at the end of the day. Remember the way we stayed so close to the end. We'll remember it was me and you. Sorry, I passed out briefly. Because we're going to be forever you and me, etc. God almighty. I mean, it makes you want to 
go back to love was when I loved you. Like, Jesus Yeah, that's, that's fuck. It's terrible, isn't it? Look, everything about this is bad. The band name is the most exciting part. You're right. Um, didn't bother... Did you... You mentioned you didn't bother checking out any of the other songs. I didn't. I just went, there's fucking no, no point. No, there, there was another one that they played on the radio at the time, but it was equally tedious, and I just... I, I It was so boring. Video so. clips sucked as well. I was bored by that, yeah. too. He so doesn't look. even have... I mean, he's got a pleasant enough voice. I mean, this is really easy listening. Like... Mm. You could call it pop soul or something, but really it's just like elevator music. Sorry. Let's, yeah, let's sucks. quickly um, move on. Two million listeners on Spotify. Christ Who the fuck are these people? I don't know. If you listen to Lighthouse Family in the last month, you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. This sucks. Go listen to something else. There are better artists. Someone that needs your money. You know, I know yeah. that Spotify artists, they need a billion listens to get like... 25 bucks in the mail or something so go and listen to something else that's not this 23 cents that's too much don't waste your money on this go and buy that girl in the office you have a crush on the iris goo goo dolls <laughs> one, one third one. of a goo goo look dolls. you know it's it is it's it, this is cheaper you're right that is correct but spend the extra 50 oh, yeah, cents spend sure. that extra money because i think it's going to pay dividends in the end okay up next is uh <laughs> what are we up to? 13th of September, nine weeks, Aerosmith. Nine weeks? Nine, the nine hit of fucking the year. weeks. The hit of the year, bigger than, of the year. More than twice as long as the song from Titanic. Yep. Is Aerosmith, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Kapow. Second Boom. movie song of the year and big hit. Now, look. It hits like an asteroid. It does hit like an asteroid, face. Tom. Because Kapow. this is, of course, from um, Armageddon. Armageddon. It's a story as old as time itself, isn't it? <laughs> it the is. world's best uh, driller being sent on a rocket to land on a meteor mm-hmm. that's going to crash into Earth. So and he's going to he's going to detonate, drill a, hole, drill a hole in put it, put a nuclear bomb in it, detonate that mm. asteroid so it doesn't crash into Earth. I mean, we've yes. all been there. We've all sort of done. We've had to do I that mean, at least once or twice time, in life. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. So, look, um, one thing I will say is that, look, <laughs> singing a love song about your own daughter isn't as weird at all. You know, I, I don't really know because, you know, sorry, no. for those that don't know, and I assume most people do, but the lead singer of Aerosmith, uh, his daughter, Liv Stephen Tyler. Tyler, his daughter Liv Tyler is the lead actress in this. Yes, so effectively, look, he's singing, he's so, look, yeah, he's singing the love song about his own daughter in this. It's not weird at all, but don't worry. Steve Tyler has expressly stated in the past, in an interview, that he doesn't want to fuck her at all. So that's all good. If you may recall... Uh, uh, ben, uh, if you'll give me one sorry, second. Sorry. I think you'll find that he said that he does want to fuck oh, her. true. Sorry. But that, quote, a real man knows not to go there. Okay. And that was in an interview he did to promote a song he wrote about a dad who fucks his daughter yep. and gets shot in the head and chucked under a train, after which... He ain't never going to be the same. <laughs> As you pointed out, no, he won't, because he'll be fucking dead. Because he's got a bullet in the brain, so he's never going to be the same. So, sorry, yeah. Sorry, Tom, I made a mistake there. You're right. So, so he does want to fuck his own daughter, but he, but he knows there's a, a bad li- idea. Look, he's drawn a line in the sand, <laughs> and he said... Fucking your own daughter is on the wrong look, side of the line. we all want to do it. We want to do it. So that's what Stephen said. He said that, but he said, look, I won't do it because, yep, I know the line to cross. So this song at all isn't creepy at all. No, that's Because, right. you know, it's, it's the love song he's singing effectively to his own daughter, but it's okay because he's pointed out that he knows 
he's a real man. He knows not, not what yes. to do. So now, look, to be fair, he did yep. not write this. No, that's the true. lyrics to this song. But he could have. Yeah. He could have interjected and said, that's "Wait correct. on yes. one split second. So that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So look, what's what's the plot to the film? I mean, uh, if I spelled it all out, oh, you've, more than you've pretty much got it. I yep. mean, if I recall correctly, the plot hinges on a an element that requires uh, a team of deep core drillers who work on an oil rig to yep. get thirty years of NASA training in a week. Oh, that's true. And unfortunately, <laughs> even that time. You know, a lot of that is taken up not with, you know, spinning around a centrifuge or doing practice spacewalks, but with sort of lots of Bill Murray and Meatballs style hijinks, tomfoolery and wackadoodle <laughs> shenaniganry. So, you know, there's a fair bit of that. Uh, like, I mean, like a lot of Michael Bay movies, it's so silly you start to wonder if he's maybe doing it on purpose. Mm. Although you could say the same thing about Avatar and James Cameron doesn't seem to be kidding. So, look, I don't know. It's hard to deal with those American guys. Yeah, absolutely. The Look, high concept directors. Are they self-aware or is it just cocaine leaking into their <laughs> cerebellum via the nasal passages? <laughs> Look, is Armageddon enjoyable, cheesy shit or is it just terrible? It's enjoyable, cheesy shit, if yep. I remember correctly. Yep. Oh, look, as you said, look, it's a film about sending the best drilling team on the planet into space to drill into and blow it's up a It's a bit like Con Air in space, if you think yeah, of it like that. exactly. Look, I think, you know, I've not seen it for a few years, but definitely the last time I saw it, um, I recall thinking, yeah, this is fun. Yeah. You probably judge it a bit more harshly than other people would because you're the world's second best deep core drill. I am, that's true. You know, true. so you've always had that rivalry, you know, going, so yeah. Absolutely right, absolutely. No, that, that's completely true. Um, look, this is written by Diane Warren. Oh, yes, who we have discussed several times yeah. already. I mean, she's yeah. the queen, she's the fucking queen oh of power ballads. Nothing's going to stop us now by Starship. Yep. If I could turn back time, mm-hmm. uh, When I See You Smile by Bad English, um, and look... I'd lie for you, and that's the truth by Meatloaf. Oh, I see what she did there. Nice one. So (laughs) she's got a lot of sort of... Her resume is is well padded. It's nuts. As as stated, she's appeared multiple times already in the last decade. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Look, so... She um, couldn't be stopped. This and Iris in the in the same year show that sort of, uh, even in the late 90s, a power ballad in a film... Is not dead. No, People still love that. there was a five-year period when your Celine Dion's and your Boys to Men basically wiped them off the map, wiped them off the charts. But now they're creeping back a little bit, you know. Yeah, absolutely right. Look, I don't want to tell Michael Bay what to do mm-hmm. because he's obviously a man that knows exactly what to do. Weirdly um, enough, he does seem to with a lot of explosions <laughs> and sort of you know. Um, this film doesn't have um, anyone sort of hosing down something in a bikini, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think so. I don't think Liv Tyler is forced to do that in this film. But, no. look, but look, my point is, I don't want to tell Michael about it to do. He's a genius. He knows what's up. But would this film have been better if, look, I think that sending the drilling team there to drill <laughs> yep. in and blow it up, what if they just sent Aerosmith there to sort of, Bruce, so Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis still drills yep. in, but then Aerosmith go into that sort of crevice the sort of hole that he's sort of created and then they've got lots of amps and they just sort of play <laughs> this song really loudly like power bells and that sort of blows up the asteroid yeah. and then they just sort of float back down to earth. I think you're right. But I I mean, I personally, I was hoping that Aerosmith would destroy the asteroid by shooting low resolution CD cases at it like in the hit arcade game Revolution X. <laughs> 
Do you remember Revolution X? I do. It had a triple light gun. It was a very high quality... uh, It had sampled speech in it, a very high quality sample of Stephen Tyler told you that the slogan was, music is your weapon, which was intended both metaphorically and in the sense of how you kept murdering hundreds of cunts by shooting low-resolution CD cases at them, which is what you did somewhat mystifyingly. I'm not really sure what it had to do with Aerosmith, but, you know. Oh, look, it is a great tie-in, and I think that just at the time, anyone just wanted to be involved in the video game industry, Tom, no matter how mm, tenuous that link was. That's sort of, right. Um, you too. They were originally asked to perform this song for the film. Oh, okay. So, because obviously Diane Warren wrote it, they said, you know, look, hey, you two, do you want to perform this? And then the idea for Aerosmith performing it only came up after Liv was cast, which makes it even fucking yeah, weirder. that does seem weird. Bro, you want to like, sing this song to your daughter? Yeah. Like, Sweet. Yeah, as, as you said, Diane Warren, she's an undeniable hit factory. Yeah, no um, doubt. And this was originally intended for Celine Dion. Was she it? Said, yeah. So they must have gone Celine Dion, then they've got, then the, then probably Michael Bay or someone similar, similarly genital said, hey, this is an action movie. We need someone with a dick to sing the yep. theme song. We can't just have, you know, Celine Dion. Otherwise, everyone will think it's the Titanic. So then, and then, you know, obviously Liv Tyler gets cast. Stephen, Tyler, Stephen Tyler's at the back waving his hand frantically, you know, <laughs> not at all suspiciously wanting to sing a love song to his own daughter. But yeah, the lyrics, however definitely sound like something that somebody wrote for Celine Dion yep. originally, but yeah, it's all shit. Like, I could stay awake just to hear you breathing, watch you smile while you were sleeping, while you're far away and dreaming. Don't want to close my eyes, don't want to fall asleep because I'd miss you, baby, because even when I dream of you, the sweetest dream would never do. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, I'd say don't mention falling asleep more than 18 times in a boring-ass song. For the same <laughs> reason, I wouldn't keep using the words pizza and donuts in an ad for wheat bix Yeah. A lot of scientific experts to this day now believe that the failure of the snack pack was due to the <laughs> TV commercial featuring close-up shots of licorice and delicious cream yeah, buns. Yes, that was the, the fault. Where are my 80s kids at, Ben? Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> Indeed. The snack so, pack was... Um... I mean, when a snack pack hits you, when a snack attack hits you, oh, yep. sorry, I should say, the only thing you can do is ride your BMX over a fence and into yep. someone else's kitchen while a smoke machine... Pumps out huge clouds of smoke Absolutely. for some reason into the kitchen. Snack packs like a sort of um, <laughs> like a yogurt thing almost. <laughs> except I think you could I think you could keep it at room temperature. I don't think you had to put yeah. it in the fridge. It was kind of goop in a cup. If you're yep. a bit older, you might remember what was it? Yowies? <laughs> what were they? <laughs> yeah, <I don't> know. <laughs> or yogo or any number of just goop in a cup. I think yeah. Americans call it pudding. Yeah, you know, it's just kind of goop good. in a tub. That I used to love a snack pack. That's oh, that, yeah. that strawberry one. Was, I mean, if was it wasn't for snack pack, a kid would starve. <laughs> exactly really, so right. Exactly. I'd probably be dead by now. If it I, wasn't I, for I snack would pack. certainly be dead. So absolutely. Um, can we bring that back? Can we get a Kickstarter happening to bring back? Snack oh, pack? I hope so. Yep. In my brain, the commercials for snack pack and stack hats have merged together. Yep. Through some sort of. <laughs> word magic. Anyway, I feel like pop ball should be in there as well. I don't know. It seems like a similar era. Sorry, so. that's enough about um, how old I am. Sixteen million people. I believe that. 
They, they had eras. They had a 70s audience and an 80s audience and a 90s audience, like, you know, and Absolutely. they'll be dad rock till the sun explodes. So, For sure, you know, yep. Yeah, yeah if, if you've got audience, and here's the thing as well, you've got different audiences over that yeah, decade because yep. you've, you've sort of mixed your music up a bit over the time. So, yeah, absolutely. So there's dudes that love the, the sort of 80s Aerosmith that probably couldn't give two fucks about this, but that's fine. Yeah. They just listen to that. So, yep, someone else listens to this. So, 16 million, 47 cents for this. Good times. Fantastic. Um, moving on. We're up next. Moving on, yes, please. Cool, up next. Um, 22nd of November for two weeks. Um, B, uh, star, hash, <laughs> whatever. No. It's supposed to be bewitched. But bewitched. Be asterisk. Be asterisk. Witched. With roller coaster now, Tom. If All Saints are a poor man's Spice Girls, then Bewitched are clearly a poor man's All Saints. Oh, God, I'd have chuck a few other people in that sandwich before you get to Bewitched. I'm yeah, regretting committing to them even as a joke earlier on in this episode, <laughs> which I only did because of the ridiculous spelling of their name. But yeah. yeah, this makes the Spice Girls sound like a cross between Jermaine Greer and L7. Yeah, correct. Like yep. this is just bollocks. This is fucking terrible. Um, look, formed by twin sisters. And their brother, not in this group, but he, the brother was in Boyzone. Oh, Jesus So, Christ. imagine, look. Boyzone are like the bewitched to take that. Yeah. You know, oh, like, for sure. You know, East 17. Jesus. I can only imagine how fucking irritating that house must have been for their parents while the kids are growing up. Just like one dude, like the twins going like, the sisters going and then the brother going and it's like <laughs> I want to be in boys oh fuck I'm going to be a boy band like just, just practice. imagine you, you go around you go around a Christmas at their house yeah. on Christmas day and it's just sort of oh uh, you know I just want to eat some turkey or something and the kids are just like oh let me I'm going to perform a song and everyone's like oh for fuck's sake and it would just be hours upon hours of the kids performing some bullshit Christmas songs going for fuck's sake and then you know just everyone let's just okay let's just Sit back and relax and let them do their things. And okay, they're pretty obnoxious, super pretentious and annoying. And then five years later, it's like, oh, fuck, they've made it into this shitty, you know, girl (laughs) groups or whatever. So, look, I find this to be, uh, look, not as good as (laughs) All Saints. I know. It sounds dumb, but for some reason I remember this being like a little bit catchier than it was I think I only heard it a couple of times even yeah, at the time but like yeah it's just like I mean look yeah. what what I do like Tom is in the music video which is one of my favourite things um, there's four members there of, are, of, yes. of the uh, of the Bewitched and what they're doing is they're all wearing different types of denim yeah so one has a denim vest uh, denim hat one has a denim jacket one has the vest done up and another has it undone with a t-shirt underneath. And one has her name like bedazzled on the back. Yeah. And sort of also in the video clip, it's like they're flying out into space across yes. the different planets. So it sort of really looks like that the music video was concocted by the marketing department of Just Jeans while on DMT. <laughs> That's sort of the vibe that I'm getting. Like yeah, sort of, it's a bit like that. <laughs> Man, I know what you mean. It's just kind of mystifying. There's a fucking low-key line dancing breakdown mm. with a fiddle in the middle like the double denim I don't know if that's another six years too late boot scooting reference or just some Irish bollocks and I refuse to find out frankly I would rather hear My Lovely Horse by Father Ted on repeat for three hours than this song like man alive yeah no. and there's another element which is kind of weird <laughs> to it as well like they were sort of they were a bit older 
by the time this band was getting filmed, they were a bit older than your average girl group um, at fo- when they first formed. Yeah. And so, and also the record company had already decided that they were going to target them at a younger, even younger audience than the audience of your average Spice Girls audience. Okay. So the sort of contrast between them just looking a bit older than they probably should for this video and this music, like the start of the music is then like waving at a bunch of 10 year olds before they fly off into space. Like, yeah, they did their first live gig playing Say La Vie at, pri- at a primary school. Like that was their target market and it got to number one in the UK. So, uh-huh, hey, okay. you know, but I'm just saying it just, it makes the video seem even sadder. Like, I don't know. Look, what's worse, this or that fucking boot scooting baby song <laughs> before? That is, that is a real... Sophie's choice of it is yeah it is it's a race to the bottom except when you want both of the children to get you know run over by a truck I yeah did. it is tough I mean that step song is one of the worst songs Sorry. I've ever heard but um, it's as this, bad as that metaphor I just used before. yeah look it's okay Tom it's okay uh, so as you mentioned yeah uh, Cilla V primary school number one actually their first four singles or each number one in the UK. Because oh uh, that country, they're oh, fucking yeah. crazy. They don't know what they're doing. But the string of number ones was only broken uh, when the single Thanks Abba for the Music oh, God. performed as a duet with Steps and Billy only reached number four <laughs> on the charts. Jesus so Christ. it was a, a from an ABBA-themed... <laughs> something soundtrack or whatever so I can imagine Abba getting that Jeez, phone call and yeah. going no we're right we could. don't don't thank us we'll, yeah. we'll call you and hang up the phone. exactly um, does this have any good lyrics uh, you'll be surprised to hear that it does no it, no, it actually doesn't uh, the lyrics are thing like come on come on get it on we're riding in a roller coaster come on come along Get it on. We're riding in a roller coaster of love. Good. This song licks balls. Listen to Love Roller Coaster by the Ohio Players instead. That fucking rules. Yep. That's definitely worth a listen. Yeah. Oh, look, at least the lyrics are true to the title that it does feature them in a roller coaster. So I think that's sort of, you know, you get what you pay for, Tom. So you look at that and just go, what's this song called? Roller Coaster. What's it about? It's about getting in a roller coaster. Look, you know, I can't be angry with that, you know. No. So money well spent. Um, 800,000 on the Bewitch. That's that's low on the low side, which is probably what I expected. Still too high for me, honestly. That's a lot of people. Mm. But, you know, I assume that perhaps this might be on a playlist of like most dog shit songs it of the 90s be, that people put on be. ironically so they still, the players still count and two cents on that one which is fair enough so you have two weeks on that so coming up next um, 6th of December for two weeks also Jennifer Page Crush ah uh, yes yep now I should point out straight off the bat that her real name isn't Jennifer Page it's Jennifer Page Scoggins <laughs> now why would you change that I don't know, Tom. Do you think Crush would have been as successful if she'd released it under the name Jenny Scoggins? Yes. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. We'll Maybe never not. know, though. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. What, what about the name Snoop Dogg? 
Skog Skog dog. <laughs> Snoop Skoggy dog. Yes. Skog dogs. Yeah, definitely. Skog dog's got a real ring to it. Exactly. Skog right. dog and the sex maggots. I reckon. For, oh yeah, crush definitely, definitely. On the Dawson's Creek soundtrack. Yeah. You, yeah. I. Yeah. Look, I think if she gets, you know, back to performing, she should really consider Skog Dog as a sort of <laughs> as a rap name. So, because she could rap this song, I think, sort of bring it into a sort of new era. I think. So look. She could. Yeah. At the age of five, she began uh, singing at the local coffee house and restaurants with her older brother Chance. Now, if I was having a coffee at a coffee shop <laughs> and a five-year-old kid started singing, I would leave and I would never return. I'd also take to social media God. and tell people never to go to that coffee shop as there's a child singing there. Oh, uh, I couldn't think of anything more obnoxious oh, than no. walking into it. I mean, look, fortunately, we live in uh, Cosmopolitan Melbourne where there's a good coffee shop on every second <laughs> corner. But, you know, some cities don't have that luxury. Some cities only have one good coffee mm. shop. Imagine you walked in there and you sit down to have your, you know, your flat white or your, your, your cappuccino, oh, no, right. whatever it is, and there's a back. five-year-old no. child in there just going, <laughs> I'd be like... Fuck that. I mean, I've heard my kids sing. They're terrible. I can't imagine that Jennifer Page at five would have been any better than that. No. So, Jesus Christ. That's, that's you know, appalling. Look, um, there have been claims that this was written for Joey Fatone. For Joey Fatone or for, by Joey Fatone? For Joey Fatone. Oh, okay. oh no, sorry. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. By for, I mean, uh, in terms of... Um, Apparently she was allegedly dating. Oh, oh okay. You're yeah, not for He's him to subject. sing it. Sorry, no, yep. that's my so, fault. That's you know, a dumb okay. thing. So claims that it was written for Joey Fatone of NSYNC as they were rumoured to be dating at this sure. time. So Seems a bit there's that rumour, but it's all been denied. It's all been denied, so I don't know. So I'm not quite sure about that. What we'll do, Tom, is we'll launch a separate um, investigative journal type podcast that just focuses mm. on this Joey Fatone, Jennifer Page or Skog Dog crush <laughs> sort of thing it'll be like a six sort of part thing we'll, we'll interview them both we'll sort of talk to friends yep. and family dig into the archive so to speak and see if we can find out the rumours of was Crush by Skog Dog written about Joe Fatone um, that'll have an audience of about two people so um, maybe those two Finnish dudes that listen to this might be interested but we'll wait and I'd see so yeah absolutely so um, look I don't know about the lyrics to this but I see you blowing me a kiss and it doesn't take a scientist to understand what's going on, baby. Fair point, I guess. Yeah, look, I don't know what science she's referring to specifically. <laughs> Scientist is a very broad term, Tom. It could refer to a lot of things. Particle maybe. physics, exactly. Could have to do with absolutely anything. But um, I don't really know what branch of science actually <laughs> researches or investigates or sort of looks at sort of the, the whole blowing of mm. a, a blowing of kisses sort of type thing. Like <laughs> what I, I sort of, I understand that maybe it is sort of like a, it, like how does matter travel? If I do the, and then blow that kiss, is any matter, is any kiss, is, is something traveling through the air to the recipient? Perhaps. Is it, a quant- is it back to this quantum physics thing that we talked about could, before, Tom? I don't really be. know. I mean, she might possibly be saying that uh, Joey Fatone's no rocket scientist. Uh, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like so, he's hot, but he's not into yeah. the quantum sciences. Look, it certainly doesn't take under you know it doesn't take a scientist to understand what's going on here. It's Jennifer Page. She's got a crush on some dude. Um, the video clip is her just on a swing for like three minutes. I I, I know what you mean. It's very simple. 
lots of close-ups of faces, some driving around in a car stuff. Something about it felt very similar, and I kept thinking, was this song on Dawson's Creek soundtrack? Was this song on the Dawson's <laughs> Creek soundtrack? It probably was. And then, but then I think I realised what made me kept thinking of Dawson's Creek, apart from the sort of vibe, is that she looks a little bit Jason Van Der Beek-y, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. She's got a kind of 90s sort of blonde, shorter fringe, and I reckon there's a touch. She's a bit eyebrow-heavy stuff. No, I'm not paying her out. She's very no. attractive. She looks a bit like... She also looks a bit like Delta Goodrum, for instance. Yep. But there's, I think, the, the slight... The slight Dawson Leary-ish cast to her face, combined with the fact that this sounds like it could totally be on that soundtrack. So, yeah. Look, but, there's two things. Either she and James Vanderbeek are the same person, Janet and Michael Jackson style. There's yep. either that. Um, that's one thing. Or she's modelled herself to look like uh, yes. him, just for this as well. I mean, there's all I mean, kinds of options. What I mean to say is you could take this exact video clip, yep. swap her out, and swap Katie Holmes in, yep. except without without her mouth moving, yep. and just have the, set, the lyrics over the top, and it could just be a commercial for the new season of Dawson's Creek. Like oh, it, you for know. sure. Look, I don't know what Jennifer Page is up to these days, but I hope that she made a significant sum of money off this and she's just <laughs> sort of relaxing, yeah. chilling out, having a good time. Um, some other lyrics, Tom. I see the light, oh, what a light, and I am sober. All that you serve to me, no longer will I drink it in. I think that might be from an... Oh, sorry, yeah, the follow-up single, yep, not from this. Yeah, no, that's all right. It doesn't quite fit in, that's all. No, that's okay, but... uh, I mean, what the hell does that mean? I've got no idea. Perhaps she was just coming out of AA. Maybe that's what she's been doing for the last 30 years. Exactly, but yeah, look, the record label pulled that trick of releasing a greatest hits album after only two Mm. studio albums from Jennifer Page. As you pointed out, that's always a good sign. And look, we know that a savvy shopper can usually find both albums at a used music store or on eBay for significantly less than the greatest hits compilation. <laughs> um, we're not fooling for that trick record label. No, so, uh, no, we're not. Um, I guess the biggest question though, Tom, is did you have a crush on Jennifer Page? Uh, no, no, but like pop stars winner Scott Kane, I did have a crush on Hilary Duff. <laughs> which is why I'm still not legally allowed near playgrounds anymore because I believe she was 16 when he wrote that song. So Yeah, yeah. look, I, I don't think... Will we get to talk about Scott Payne later? I, I fucking oh, I'm so, sure yeah. when he gets to the first of his many number one chart appearances. Yeah, definitely. I think even Scott Kane has forgotten that he was on television at this point. Oh, exactly right. But yeah, you're right. I've got a crush on Hilary Duff um, when you're like a 25-year-old dude <laughs> writing a song about a 16-year-old. It's pretty creepy, so I don't really know. Um, yeah, good times. Love that guy. Uh, lyrical highlights for this. Um, well, despite the fact that this was not written by Jennifer, it was written by Fuigi Niho, e.g. four white guys you've never heard of, uh, I think this is pretty good, actually. Again, yeah. like especially held up against the standards of 1998. Looking back at some of the female-centric pops songs we've covered this decade and going well into the current one, I would say that the message here is one of the sort of healthier ones that a teenager could be absorbing like, what do you reckon? You know, like, mm. it, like thinking back to when I was a teenager anyway, it's just a little crush, etc. That's the chorus. It's just a little crush. It's not like everything I do depends on you. So let it be what it'll be. Don't make a fuss and get crazy over you and me. Here's what I do. I'll play it loose. It's not like we have a date with destiny. Yeah. Now, judging from my teenage years, at least, that message would have been healthier than options like... A, the Dawson's Creek, wasp-tastic, let's get married at 19, our feelings are so real bullshit. 
or B, the emo metal glam meatloaf message of tonight's the most important night in the world, tomorrow the apocalypse takes us all, please yep. let me finger blast you in the back of my Datsun 120B. <laughs> Or see the current Gen Z, you should be able to fuck me like a porn star in a blinged out limo by the age of 16 standard. Yep. You know, that's all bullshit. And as you realise as soon as you get past the age of about 25, it's probably just a little crush. Also, if you listen to this when you're 18, you might have also noticed that crush rhymes with thrush. Yeah, it does. Which yeah. is not a bad message for the kids either, I'm just saying. And look, I think um, Jennifer Page, she used a lot of um, maturity to not include crush <laughs> in the she could have she could have put that in there it's just a little crush you know we'll bang and then I'll probably have the yeah. thrush so she, but she didn't do that so I think that sort of shows you know maturity beyond her years which is fantastic now Tom um, I won't say that it necessarily pains me to say this but um, this is probably the best number one of the year <laughs> I was gonna say like <laughs> and, and that's not because I necessarily love this song but there's been so much oh, it's fucking garbage. I'd uh, certainly say I think these are probably my favourite lyrics of the year. I yeah, reckon. definitely. So they're look, not complicated, but it just sort of like yeah, that makes so song of the year for Jennifer Page. Congratulations, um, because yeah, just having a bit of a flip through the other stuff, there's a lot of fucking hot garbage in there. So and look, I'm not going to choose Iris because I think it's just too <laughs> too like yeah, that's the it's other the one. The kind that, of thing that Avril Lavigne would pay at her wedding. That's exactly, what kind exactly, of song right, it is. Exactly. Exactly. So, look, Jennifer Page, if you're listening to this, um, jump on. The, we'd love to interview you for when Tom and I effectively <laughs> run out of ideas and he's doing an interview podcast. We, we love those. I just love those podcasts where there's only 10,000 of them where people interview people and shit. It's really fun. Right. So, come on and we'll talk about Crush. It'll be great. So, two weeks of that. And then 13th of December, Tom, you got, sorry, anything else to say no, about this? No, no, no. Quickly, 600,000 on Spotify, 16 cents. There you go. Um, final number one of the year. Um, this is six weeks. This is the offspring, Tom. Pretty fly bracket for a white guy in bracket. Six weeks? Yeah. Well, again, that's two weeks more than my heart will go on. Fuck. Yep. Now, <laughs> this has to be one of the worst of the decade. <laughs> well, uh, I don't hate this as much as you do, but please, go on. I'm not saying it's good by any means. Look, um, it, it, I wouldn't put this above Crush by Jennifer Page. Look, I, I, I will say this, Tom. Um, I was never a, a big Offspring fan at the time when they were around. But look, what I will say is that obviously, you know, that, that SoCal, Southern Californian punk sort mm. of scene, it had really sort of taken hold, I guess, by this stage, mid to late 90s. Punk's had a lot of boom and bust cycles over the years. By that, it I mean has. sort of yep. 70s punk, late 70s, that 77 Sex Pistols type thing. And then, you know, that sort of lasted very short period of time and then sort of Throughout the 80s, you know, you Ramones and various things like that. And then into the 90s, you got sort of more... Pop that punk, sort of pop punk, yep, Blink-182 type stuff. Green Day. Green Day, this sort of Southern California type thing. Um, but look, these guys were on Epitaph, independent record label. Uh, they had a lot of success with the album Smash. That yeah, was that on was huge. So that peaked at number four in the US Billboard that had 200. Come out and play on it. Yep. It had self esteem on it. Heaps it had a of bunch stuff. Of other Heaps stuff. of stuff. Yeah. And look, that sold. And I remember hearing that going to various parties when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, that was massive. Everyone seemed to have that album. It sold 11 million copies worldwide, which makes it to this day the best-selling album released by an independent record no label. Yes, that's pretty impressive. So Epitaph. Um, yeah, that was released on that, and fortunately, they've been able to use the money from 
the sales of the offspring to release albums that are probably even to this day I know you know you'll see bands that are on that label that are probably not commercially massive but you know obviously they're probably still yeah, rocking yeah. out of the money that they earned <laughs> like a true. billion years ago yeah. so look anyway so look that's super impressive didn't hate that album at all smash no i know a heap of the songs rad. people yeah still exactly like one of my favorites yeah for sure so one of those one of those things as a teenager growing up you'd go to a party someone would throw that on not mad at that at all quite enjoy it but yep so after that 11 million uh, and they had that they were able to sign to a major label. Yep. So obviously someone went, fucking hell, 11 million on an independent. Let's get some marketing behind this and push it a bit more, see what we can do. They released uh, Ixnay on the Hombre, which still had sort of a bit of a punk, some songs on there, sort of mixed it around a little mm-hmm. bit. Once again, not the biggest fan, so I can't say I know it super well, but definitely know some of the songs. Um, so I would say that some of the, the fans, the hardcore fans, might have been, you know, felt a bit slighted by this song, which to put it politely, I think is objectively <laughs> terrible. Oh, definitely. Ixnay on the Ombre was a much wackier album than Smash. Yep. Which had like, you know, more sort of, you know, some of the songs had funny, funnier lyrics, but there was a lot of sort of political stuff on there too. You know, you kind of a bit more in the vein of the other punk that was around at the time, you know, like I'm struggling to think of any, who's that people that did 21st century digital boy, those guys, I don't know, you know, sort of politically, (laughs) politically active kind of stuff. And then this got, they got a lot jokier and a bit more punky and that sort of thing. And I'm sure a lot of people did not like that (laughs) very much, but yeah, people such as yourself, but yeah, I don't know. Look, I, I think the, um, Give it to me, baby. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Must be one of the most annoying <laughs> vocal lines of, I'm going to say this year, what, but what you, I really mean is the whole decade. Put that up against, come on, Barbie, let's go party. Uh, the, the, the thing is, though, they're even, in my mind. <laughs> yeah. They're equally as obnoxious. But you've got to remember that this band used to have some sort of dignity and respect yeah, by people. Yeah. So for me, Aqua was sort of, you know, they, they started from a low position and, you know, whereas these guys sort of started off where people yeah. sort of went, yeah, yeah, you know, you're a legitimate sort of successor to a genre of music that's had a long, so, um, let's face it, the sort of SoCal punk thing and it's the sort of original Sex Pistols style punk. There's absolutely no, no. nothing whatsoever in common it's just that the name punk has somehow sort of continued on despite the fact that the the reality is that none of this modern stuff is in any way related to that especially when you're on a major label and of course yeah you're making glossy music videos and all that sort of yeah punk still exists it just sort of for my mind wasn't sort of really this sort of thing but you know their other album like the sort of when they're on independent labels at least they were sort of it's sort of it's sort of um when I say punk it's sort of just sort of alt rock kind of I guess like it was sort of adjacent ish to sort of you know yeah. some of the other stuff that was happening oh at the no time. that's right Green Day sort of blurred in with you know the the grunge sound at the time you know with the sort of raw guitar punk influenced sound even though they weren't grunge obviously but yeah you know but they were kind of trying to aim at something a bit more 
yeah, edgy than this type of shit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so, look, I find that bit to be super annoying. They give it to me, baby. Part the whole song sucks. Um, it's obviously the song's about mocking poses. I think sort of that. Yeah. you know, that people that are sort of behaving in a certain way. You know, when they're trying, you know, something that they're not really. But and it Wiggins, isn't, as we used to yeah, call them. Yeah, I'm exactly. sure that word's probably. Oh, out I, of think it's, I think it's probably banned now. But yeah, look, I know it's not to me taken too seriously. But you can do that. I think you can write a song about mocking poses that shouldn't be taken too seriously. And you can do that in a manner that doesn't make you want to throw yourself into an active volcano, So, which this song does. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I don't hate this as quite as much as you do, but I am happy to admit that a lot of punk songs do set out to answer the question seemingly, why don't more songs be funnier with the answer? Because it only works if you're actually funny, really. Like yep. Dave Chappelle once said that, um, every rock star wants to be a comedian and every comedian wants to be a rock star. But yeah, I mean, in terms of funny, you know, funny punk songs, there's an awful lot of pretty fly and clams have feelings too for every I got an ape draped by the vandals, you know. There's, <laughs> it's it's not as easy as it sounds, frankly. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, um, music video is directed by Mukherjee. Um, What's he been up to since making Charlie's Angels full throttle? I think he lets thousands of people play cricket inside him. Ah, he does. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the Melbourne cricket ground because their names are spelled exactly the same way. Stylized exactly the same. So that was a terrible joke. I apologize. That's why we don't do jokes on this show, Tom. It's late in the year. Yeah, look, this was fortunately the band's last number one. Oh, okay. So we don't have to talk about them anymore. But they did have another top ten hit song with what uh, in Australia, Tom, with one of my other favourites, um, "Original Prankster." Oh, God, if yeah. you remember that, which is um, yeah, this song worse was... than this or <laughs> as bad. This song was number one on Triple J, which was you know it's like the alternative radio station in Australia, their yep. annual Hottest One Hundred, which is a sort of fairly closely followed. Uh, event where with a fair bit of build up and you know and what happened is what frequently happens is you get 99 fairly decent songs and then two weeks before the countdown closes a novelty song comes out and every teenager votes for the novelty song and it ends up being number one so then when you look back at this supposedly respectable musical competition from 20 years later you go that was number one, really? Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. so the re- reputation of the whole radio station suffers just because of how, you know, novelties work. Did anyway. this hit high on the Hottest 100 for this Yeah, I think it was time? number one. Was, That's oh, what was, I mean, okay. because it came out like yep. three weeks before. Yeah, yeah. So there's the <laughs> crossover, exactly. I, it's it's not, it's, they didn't release it like that on purpose. They no. don't give a shit about the Hottest 100. I'm just saying that that's the kind of thing that happens with novelty songs sometimes. It is funny how sort of old cunts are sort of like... Um, today going oh the hottest 100 the the big songs are just the same as the pop charts but the reality is i think you go back now 20 years and it's sort of the same thing like the the number one you know what i mean the number one song on the hottest 100 was also a number one song just on the mainstream charts sometimes yeah i'm a little bit surprised that this was like again like six weeks at number one yeah i mean it is catchy whether you like it or not it has that quality but you know yeah anyway Uh, I guess this shows that people were still buying CD singles yeah, at this time. Yeah, um, <laughs> good on at- <laughs> Look, I don't know. We've had this argument before. Well, sure. not the argument, but discussion. But uh, is the punkest thing you can do as a <laughs> punk band to be real punk, to do the complete opposite thing 
that people would think a punk band should do, which is to release a dog shit novelty song. So does that mean Offspring are... If Offspring had released a punk song... Yeah. Be, writing, yeah. doing this, which is a shitty novelty song, is punker <laughs> because people don't expect that. Well, or is that just an argument that gets you nowhere because it makes almost no sense? It's interesting, that question. I know the one you mean. Uh, like... Yeah, Chuck Klosterman had a theory that him and his friend, I can't remember what it was called, they had a name for it, but it was this theory that the, the coolest thing you could do in a situation, like when you, when people are waiting for a band, to what a band's going to do next, next single or whatever, the coolest thing you can do is not the thing that people are expecting you to do, again, or the thing that is the opposite of what people are expecting you to do, yep. but a lateral sideways thing so the coolest thing that the offspring could have done theoretically now is to release an album of i guess lo-fi bossa nova songs you know (laughs) (laughs) that they recorded up a mountain in nepal or something like that because that's the thing that nobody would expect but not it's also not the opposite of a punk song either yeah as you say the opposite of a punk song is kind of a shitty commercial novelty song which is what this this. is so what happens if you do this is that all the punk fans hate you and the dorks who buy novelty songs like it for two weeks and then throw it away and yeah yeah absolutely look um, but you still get a six week number one in australia for whatever the fuck that's worth yeah definitely uh look i personally think this is fucking total garbage (laughs) and uh but that's that's just many many people agree with this and that's fine so look we can agree to disagree tom i know you've got (laughs) you know the lyrics tattooed on your arm but that's okay (laughs) Uh, 12 mil 12 mil yeah I mean 2 cents which is like a (laughs) lyrics what have you got for me oh I think apart from give it to me baby uh huh uh huh I don't hate um it used to make life he's getting a tattoo he's getting ink done he asked for a 13 but they drew a 31 I like to imagine like in the video clip it implies that they did that on purpose because he's a dickhead yeah (laughs) like he can but yeah and I don't hate the line the world needs wannabes because it actually does, like that for our Western cyborg civilization to progress, we need dorks to buy gadgets that don't work very well so that they can evolve into the technology that everyone else uses without yeah. thinking about it. There wouldn't be a fashion industry if people didn't bother trying to cop- copy other people who look better than them. And Elvis Costello once said that the history of pop music is people trying to copy each other and getting it slightly wrong. Mm. So, yeah, but that's not something you hear in lyrics very much because mostly lyrics are either about being cool or about being uncool and not very much about just being a big old posery tryhard. Fair enough. <laughs> Even though they are mocking him. It would be ballsier if he was talking about himself and like yep. just making himself out to be a big di- That would be more punk than just picking on some random made-up dude <laughs> that they've got. Anyway. Absolutely. Look, uh, I, I think... I don't know, but I assume the offspring are still going these days. Um, have they sort of... Yeah, well, look, that's... I like to think I that him and the research. lead singer of Smash Mouth are keeping the frosted <laughs> tip head gel market, you Absolutely. know, going in these so hard what, times. So what, what, what is the sort of in terms of sort of like um, underground cred to mainstream sort of, I guess, dismay, is, is this sort of um, smash with those songs you talked about, Come Out and Play, etc., 
to this, mm. it's obviously a drop in oh, quality. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Is that as is that sort of comparable to say a Master of Puppets to um, <laughs> load. Sort of load or reload <laughs> type scenario? Yeah, it sort of seems like that. I'm sure a lot of. I mean, I wasn't really invested in them enough to think that they'd sold out at the time. But as you said, I'm sure a lot of people who really liked them would have thought that at the time, especially when they turned on the TV and saw this glossy you know, primary coloured McG video about this dork yeah. bopping around, you know, with like hip hop samples in it and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So look, that's it for the year. Um, I'm, this is, I don't know, this, I don't think this is a first, I'm assuming this has happened before, but we had no Australian number ones this oh, week. Oh yeah. All international artists. So yeah. there you go. It's probably happened before, but um, I just thought It'll that was a note. Again. So the biggest songs from Australian artists this year was um, Second Solution, Prisoner of Society by The Living <laughs> End. Well, there was a punk band who did maintain a bit of their integrity. Yeah, exactly. Probably by being from Australia and therefore never being in danger of selling out. <laughs> For sure, exactly. <laughs> Buses and Trains by Bachelor Girl, Torn oh, yeah. by Natalie that and That was Brilliant. a huge so hit. I'm kind of surprised that wasn't number one. Yeah. So, uh, and then songs which peaked at number two that we didn't get to talk about, unfortunately, but were pretty close. Um, as Long As You Love Me by the Backstreet oh, Boys. Yep. That's great. Um, Torn by Natalie Bruce. Oh, it's okay. It was number two. Fuel by Metallica. Yep. Give me fuel. Give me fire. Some Another other bullshit. The load. Um, yep. Ghetto Superstar. Old Dirty Bastard showed up again on that one. I wonder if you got any bags or sort of clothes or accessories from that. Um, Viva Forever by the Spice Girls. Fantastic. Um, Good Riddance, Time of Your Life by Green Day, which got played at every mm-hmm. sort of uh, Lever's oh, yeah, thing the, for about the next 4,000 years. The song from the end, the last episode of Seinfeld, although, yep. it, you know, it's not actually in the episode or anything, so fuck knows what connection that had really... Um, there was another Aqua song, Lollipop, which fortunately only made it to number three. <laughs> so, Boy Is Mine by Brandy and Monica, uh, Monica uh, which is fantastic. And what else have we got there? Some other, I don't know, Bachelor Girl, <laughs> some more bullshit from Steps. Oh, God. Under the Bridge by All Saints, as we've talked about before. Oh, yeah. Ray of uh, Light by Madonna, that was another. Oh, yeah. That was her coming back into a new era, which was her more sort of techno-y era. <laughs> she found some new producers and decided to reinvent herself as EDM now, so that's the kind of start of that. That's too. good. Getting Jiggy With It by Will Smith. Oh, yeah. um, big Mistake. By uh, Natalie and Brulia. Uh, Walking on the Sun by Smash, Smash Mouth. Mouth. <laughs> Sorry, Walking on the Sun. Fuck. Oh up. my God, Have you? did you see that, that recent thing of him performing live? Smash Mouth, no. Oh, Is you've got ter- to see oh, it. Check it's it out. pretty Is great. It terrible? Yeah, I can only imagine it's, <laughs> it's pretty bad. Just visibly shit-faced and uh, hating everyone. Good. Crush on You by Aaron Carter. <sighs> Who's sort of like a he's, he's a precursor to to the Bieber I think the young the young yeah, kid getting up he was there a so child star but yeah yeah and that's about it so look um look fantastic so a lot of hits are, actually some weeks I find that those ones that didn't quite make it are better than what's in the oh, actual charts and I think it's safe to say that this week there's a couple in there that could be the same because this was a pretty poor year overall uh, I don't know what the Australian public were doing whether you know, drugs or just alcohol <laughs> abuse or I don't know. There was a lot of sort of um, more interesting 
other stuff, you know, non-top 10 stuff, that, yep. yeah, or close stuff that didn't quite get there. But, yeah, as you say, the actual top 10 list is getting pretty dire at this point. Absolutely. So, look, that's it. We'll be back next week with 1999, the last year of the millennium. So it's pretty exciting to know <laughs> what people were getting excited for, mm. what the – look – you think they'd just be playing Prince all year, wouldn't they? Well, I think so, but we'll find it because I've got a feeling that DJs um, <laughs> on that midnight, 1999, 31 December, what will they be playing? We'll, only, we'll find out, I guess, sure. because we'll find out next week because I have a feeling that whatever was like the number one song at that time probably would have got a fair workout, I guess, I around reckon. that sort of time. So yeah. we'll find out what that is. So, yeah. I mean, we all know the new millennium didn't actually start until... First uh, of January two thousand and one, <laughs> but people just sort of forgot we all that. Just chose we just went that. fuck that. Let's just go with two thousand. Um, so it's all good. So thank you. I'm Ben and I'm Tom. And yep. See you next week. And oh, we do have a Spotify thing. No, sorry, no, not Spotify. Instagram. <laughs> and a YouTube. YouTube. YouTube with the playlist on there and yeah. a, and the Spotify. This is you can just listen to on Spotify. That's what I meant to say. But yeah, and the Instagram is Sunglasses at Night Podcast. Um, where I'll just be I'll post like a photo of something fucking <laughs> stupid and who cares, but whatever. Thanks. Okay, see ya. <laughs>